You're watching the Sports Objective, the podcast for Pirates. That stadium is going to be rocking, and heaven help whoever walks in there to play us. Sustained effort and violence, you play your ass off. You're watching the Pirate Preview on the Sports Objective. Join us every Tuesday night on YouTube Live as we're joined by beat writers and other media members as we take a look at what lies ahead for the Pirates. Now, here are the guys. Here is a first down. Pirates. What's going on, Pirate Nation? Welcome in to the Sports Objective. You're watching the Pirate Preview. Typically, we're... Joining you on Tuesday night uh, this week, had some life things happening, uh, coming to you on a Thursday night, but better late than never, as the Pirates will be traveling down to the Alamo Dome, 3.30 kickoff on ESPN Plus, first ever matchup with the UTSA Roadrunners on Saturday afternoon, and um, now I'm joined by my co-host Kyle Barber and Matt Semenza as we take a look at this first ever matchup with Pirates. D Pirates and UTSA guys, how are we? Uh, doing well, Bubba. As we're getting ready to take on the meat meeps of UTSA, meep meep. So, uh, you know, uh, it should be an interesting matchup with Roadrunners. I, uh, yee, Frank Harris, good quarterback. They got a good defense, good football team, well coached. Hey, it's gonna be tough, no doubt. And, uh, as you take a look at this matchup, uh, UTSA, um, you know, coming in to the conference um, had, had really dominated Conference USA in the last couple of years on so much success under Jeff Trailer, averaging 10 wins per season, uh, seven wins, 12 wins, 11 wins, uh, respectively. And um, you know, so much success um, with, with Frank Harris um, this year. One and three start uh, when Frank Harris went down with an injury. But um, they have won three in a row uh, since he returned, uh, outscoring their opponents by a 42 to 21 margin. And so, no doubt, uh, East Carolina will have its work cut out for them uh, as they travel to the Alamo Dome on Saturday. Yeah, very solid team, guys. I mean, they've had it rolling down there for several years now. And, you know, um, this, this is a tough matchup for ECU, very tough matchup to say the least. And, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously, number one, it's it's a road game. It's in a dome. And, you know, when you play in a dome, it, it does have an unusual feel to it. And we can't um, practice inside, Matt. I don't know if, 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 if that's been pointed out any of this week or not. I just, you know, wanted it to be pointed out if anybody else hadn't pointed it out that we can't practice inside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I think what really makes this, this game challenging is that East Carolina is going to have to score a significant amount of points to have a chance and, you know, as we all know, that's been the issue with this team. Can you score enough points to remain competitive? So, you know, that's going to be the challenge. We'll see how it unfolds. I, I think it'll – I think we'll have a similar game plan to what we had against SMU um, and probably a very similar outcome. We'll probably make it respectable until the fourth, and then UTSA will put us away in the fourth. And it, it'll quickly go from a 17-10 type ball game to a, to a 38-10 type ball game in a hurry. And that's the thing when you say a significant significant number of points, uh, I can see 
that pirate defense is playing so well, you know, for the most part out outside of, of a handful of plays, you know, possibly holding the road runners to 27 to 30 points. But obviously we've, we've only scored 17 um, points against the FBS team as a high watermark this year on that coming against rice uh, when, when the pirates fell in Houston. So, um, we're going to have to do what we did a week ago and, you know, get a couple of short fields or more and uh, we can ill afford to uh, not cash in on those opportunities and the way we failed to do so against Charlotte um, took advantage of the, the muff punt. But after Julius Wood intercepted uh, Jalen Jones pass and ran it back to the 25 um, had that 24 yard field goal go off the right upright and, uh, Definitely cannot have anything like that. A very small margin for error, as we know. Well, what's scary thing about this game and keeping it close is Frank Harris is so good. He doesn't turn the ball over and make mistakes. He doesn't beat himself. And while our defense is good, we have not done a great job getting pressure on the quarterback. And if you don't get pressure on Frank Harris, uh, our secondary is good. But if you don't get pressure on Frank Harris, he's going to tear you apart. I don't care how good your secondary is. So that scares me a little bit in this game uh, for the defense. Uh, we know what the offense is and it is what it is, which ain't much, but um, I do think Frank Harris has the ability to um, make a good defense look bad. Well, you know, he's about 35 years old. So uh, <laughs> he's seventh year senior, seventh year senior. Yeah. So yeah. He, he's been there. Since, I think he's been there since the program started. I think he was there under Larry Coker. Yeah, I mean, it, this guy, uh, he, he seems like he's been there forever. So he, but, but uh, he should play I remember, for BYU. You guys remember, sorry, Matt, I just thought of something. You guys remember Larry Coker when he was at UTSA? My wife used to always say he looked like Bing Crosby. All right, I can see it a little bit. I see, that. I see that a little bit. Yeah, I see the resemblance. But, uh, but yeah, Frank Harris should really be on BYU's roster at this point. But, uh, you know, because he brings a little <laughs> age and experience. But... Uh, I like your Mormon joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, hey, you know what? He's so, you know, on a serious note, he does bring the experience. Very good quarterback. They've obviously turned it around so he's, since he's come back. And speaking of quarterbacks, guys, for me this week, it's all Alex Quinn, and I'm mixing in Jeter occasionally throughout the game. I might have a few packages for Jeter. What do you guys think about the quarterback situation for ECU this week? Yeah, I mean, you, 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 you know, I think Mason can be effective if you're in some option with him, um, which is something we saw him do comfortably against SMU and then see it one damn time against um, against Charlotte, and you have to wonder why. Uh, but, uh, yeah, unless you're going to run some option-type stuff, some Wildcat-type stuff, yeah, you got to start fleeing. Um, at this point, I'd like to see Jeter. Um, I'd like to see what he can do. I don't know how it could possibly be any worse, unless he is just an absolute turnover machine. Otherwise, I don't know how it could possibly be any, be any worse. So at this point, yeah, um, I'd like to see Jeter. I know, um, you know, he was uh, Houston was asked about that Monday, and he said that we would see him. Um, you know, he did mention about wanting to preserve the red shirt uh, if possible. And he said, you know, he said, unless you're going to play him a whole lot, then you don't worry about that. Um, so I guess with a seven, excuse me, with a five, uh, four games, four, how many games we got left? Four, five, five games, yeah. five games. Yeah, with five games left to go in the season, um, I don't know. You know, you know, it, it, See, we'll, yeah, he's played in one. Uh, you know, we saw. Yeah, you can play him in three more. 
if you don't want to waste a red shirt. Although to me, in this day and age of NIL and transfer portal, I don't give a damn about a red shirt. And I think it's pretty stupid to worry about it, but that's just my opinion. Um, I, I would, uh, I'm with you, Matt. I'd like to see Jeter this week. I'd start fleeing. And then I'd like to see what Jeter could do. Um, you know, I, I don't know. The only thing I can think of, the only reason you wouldn't start to play Jeter besides the red shirt situation is, you know, you've heard about quarterbacks being ruined. Uh, Doug Martin, Steve Logan, both guys who have talked about ruining quarterbacks and, you, you don't want to bring a kid in and um, ruin his confidence, um, you know, because of not having a good offensive line or whatever. So that would be the only negative I would see with playing Jeter. Bob, what are your thoughts on that as a guy who played quarterback? I mean, what, what do you think about that situation? Potentially ruining him or, you know, creating a, uh, you know, a negative uh, experience for him out there at his first start or his first significant playing time, I should say, not start. Just as a general rule, um, not specifically to Raheem Jeter, but that's something you heard Steve Logan say frequently. Uh, you know, they, you can ruin them. You can ruin them if you play them too early uh, and when they're not ready, and you you know you put too much on their plate. Uh, and that was something that that he was concerned with. Um, be it uh, David Garrard in 1998 as a redshirt freshman, or um, or others throughout his. 11-year tenure as on the, the Pirates head coach. But I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, and I, I don't really know enough about Raheem Jeter to speak specifically to him. But as far as this week goes, uh, you know, last week, like Kyle has already mentioned, uh, you know, we had we had the, uh, the, you know, the game plan, or at least it quickly evolved into this, uh, you know, Early on, uh, once we had little success, you know, no success running the football against Charlotte Stout defensive front, um, as far as utilizing the short passing game, Charlotte had given up some plays in the passing game, and we tried to um, exploit that uh, more so than beating our head against the wall in, in the run game. UTSA, very stout against the run. They're giving up about 130 yards per game on the ground last week, FAU managed just 20 yards rushing on 28 attempts, so less than a, a yard per carry, about 0.7 per carry uh, for the Owls last week and down in Boca Raton. So uh, I would say it would be a similar game plan. Um, Charlotte was able to get a decent amount of pressure on our quarterbacks, to say the least. And then you take a look at this UTSA defensive front. They're led by – Linebacker Trey Moore, 6'3", 235 pounds uh, from right there in San Antonio, big number one. Uh, Trey Moore has nine sacks, 11 and a half tackles for loss, and uh, he led a a UTSA defense that limited FAU. I mentioned the 20 yards rushing, just 162 total yards uh, for Florida Atlantic last weekend um, in a game, like I said, that was on the road, and Florida Atlantic was coming off a 56-point performance against what was a very bad uh, South Florida, or what is a very bad South Florida defense. But um, the Roadrunners have 24 sacks on the season. So um, pass protection, uh, you know, for Alex Flynn or whoever's in the game. Uh, is, And then we could have a chance to exploit UTSA some as uh, others have had the chance to do so through, through the air. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, just to kind of go back to, to Jeter really quick, guys, um, 
you know, what I what I would do personally in this game is I would start Flynn like we did down at Rice. I would go with Flynn here because you're going to need to score points. All right. So I think Flynn gives you the best opportunity to score points. But I would not be afraid to sprinkle in Jeter. I would have specific packages for him. And, you know, it's funny. I've really changed my opinion on these red shirts. You know, you know, it doesn't necessarily make me right. But four or five, six years ago, I would have said, hey, let's redshirt him. But seeing the way college football has changed so much in the last 24 months, the way kids hit the portal, the way kids transfer, I am not nearly as concerned about redshirting people anymore. Yeah, so maybe. Look, I'll tell you, man, when you look at Jeter, he's a big kid. He, he, is, he is a big kid. He's, he's a, uh, you know, from an athletic perspective, He's a good-looking athlete. He's a he runs. He's a fluid athlete. I, I would have a few packages for him, guys. I really would. And and you know what? If, if you burn the red shirt, I I honestly could care less. I, probably you want to throw Pays's comment up there. I I totally agree with Pays on this. Um, I really do. I think it's time to give him a look. What can it hurt? That's the thing. What can it hurt? Kyle said this earlier. You have nothing to lose. Speedy surface. I mean. And to this point, Mike Houston, in his weekly press conference, he was asked specifically about Raheem Jeter and um, whether we can expect to see him in yeah, these I've, all, I've all five games. Him. And Coach Houston, I, he said, absolutely. So it's definitely worth keeping an eye on. I, I think, who, who knows, we'll see whether we see him against UTSA or Tulane. But if, if things go poorly offensively these next two games, then – at FAU, at Navy, and then Tulsa, um, I would bank on seeing Raheem Jeter, much like uh, you think back to, uh, I, guess, I guess it was 2003 um, or – no, actually, oh uh, four. Remember when we started seeing James Pinckney? And yeah. um, you, you saw James Pinckney, and we started lighting it up. And uh, what well, we put about 35 or 40 points on, on Memphis in the, in the uh, home finale. Yeah, it was uh, – actually, we started seeing uh, James Pinckney at the end of 03, and then he started almost the entire 04 season. Yeah, it was the – okay, yeah. it was in the end of, end of 03. Yeah, started, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember he, he played well in some JV, JV games against Hargraves. Yeah, he did. Uh, I saw him – I watched James Pinckney in the, in the JV game, and I told Jessica, um, I, you know, maybe I don't know what I'm looking at, I'm just, you know, I was a 20-something kid then. I said, but I believe he's our best quarterback. Well, it turned out I didn't know what I was looking at. And um, he uh, he started playing at the end of the uh, of that season and started 04. He just couldn't be successful in 04 because we had the worst offensive line in Pirate history. And, uh, maybe up until this point, anyway. And, uh, you know, then 05, obviously, and 06, uh, Pinckney was very successful. But, yeah, back to Jeter, and you talk about the redshirt stuff. I play him this game against UTSA. Here's why. If he has success against UTSA, then you say screw the red shirt and you start him the rest of the year. Um, if he if he doesn't, if he's no more productive than the than the other two quarterbacks have been up to this point, then you then you, you then you preserve his red shirt and you play him the last couple games of the year some to, to try to get him ready to see if he could be the guy next year. But uh, if if you if you start Flynn and then put Jeter in against UTSA and Jeter has success. Uh, then I say screw the red shirt and let's go with him the rest of the year because, you know, again, I go back to how could it be any worse? And if he can make plays just with his athleticism alone, he's more athletic than Flynn. Um, 
you know, his skill set. Garcia is athletic, but I, Jeter strikes me as the type of kid that's probably going to get out of the pocket on his own, roam around, and make plays with, run around and make a play and throw. You see what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely would play Jeter some this week. And if it works, I'd play more and not worry about the red shirt. Yeah, and, you know, guys, I, I really think that we, this coaching staff needs to to really give some thought as to how they're going to attack the defense. And, you know, what we try to do is we try to attack the middle. You know, we try to run the ball up the middle. I think what we need to do is attack the perimeter. And, you know, you get these defensive ends thinking perimeter. You get linebackers flowing to the perimeter, and then you could start to crease people inside. They have to think about it in a different way because that's just not working. Um, so, you know, what I would really try to do is spread the field. You know, I would try to take some wider splits on the O-line. I would try to work the perimeter and then come back and try to get some inside runs um, as opposed to just beating your head against the wall and trying to pound the rock inside and just going nowhere. You know, I, I just think that we need to go back to some of these principles, some option types, some speed option um, some wide receiver screens, high percentage throws um, to get some things moving offensively. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. Um, we we got to do something different. What we're doing is not working. And, uh, yeah, that's why I'd be open to try basically anything. That's why, you know, I'd, we talked about it at nauseum last week about running option with Garcia. And, again, we didn't see it none against Charlotte. So I don't know why we're so scared to try something different when what we're doing clearly isn't working. We take a look at it. I mentioned this to you guys earlier. Um, obviously, Rice is the, the worst FBS defense we've faced. But at the same time, you look at it against Michigan, 235 yards of offense. Marshall, 269 yards. App, 260 yards. Um, at Rice, 391. SMU, 290. And Charlotte, 127. So, there's only been one game, you know, against an FBS opponent that we've had more than 290 yards of offense, which is mind-boggling. And in that game against Rice, where we had nearly 400 yards, we threw 65% of the time on first down. Yeah, I know. And, um, you know, Donnie alluded to that today in his press conference that, you know, we, we're, we're not a wide open all over the, you know, throw the ball over the field football team. And then he said, Mike Houston's never had that kind of offense anywhere he's been. Uh, so I don't know if he was trying to deflect some of the blame to Houston or what. I, You know, or if he was just stating a fact. I, I don't know. But uh, I go back to it again. If, if what you're doing ain't working, do something else. Um, so, yeah, if, if the answer is to throw the ball every down, throw the ball every damn down. Uh, we do have some talent in the running back room. The problem is the O-line just don't seem to be able to run block. Um, you know, guns back healthy. Uh, um, Gerald Green uh, is back healthy. Uh, we, we may see Bond, but one guy that I see make plays on his own is Kamara Edmonds. I, I see him get yardage uh, on his own. Uh, this past week, 16 year old, 16 year old, 16 yard rush against um, Charlotte, and it was all on his own. Um, you know, it, it, it was, he, he was breaking tackles. It was all, it was all, um, Kamara Edmonds doing that. I remember there was a play against SMU, Bubba, that I pointed out to you that was just a three yard reception, but those three yards were all on his own. 
Yeah, and uh, speaking of personnel, um, we appreciate everyone chiming in on Facebook and YouTube tonight, and we're getting a lot of personnel questions. Uh, you mentioned Javius Bond. Uh, Pays had just asked about Javius Bond. Is Bond still out? Um, what what I'm hearing about him, um, he, he is doing some running, but he's still you know, not wearing pads. My guess um, is – I would, or I'd be a little surprised if we see him at UTSA and maybe more likely to make a return against Tulane. But um, Gerald Green, I know he was a go in full pads on Tuesday, so hopefully Gerald uh, will be uh, ready to to make an appearance and uh, do some damage against the Roadrunners on Saturday afternoon. Um, let's see. Kenneth Maynard and chiming in about Shane Calhoun. Obviously, we only have three passing touchdowns. Shane Calhoun has been on the receiving end of two of those. And Shane on the season, 15 catches, 119 yards, and those two touchdowns. That's going to be tough to do, Kenneth. And unfortunately, Shane Calhoun is out injured uh, after catching that touchdown pass with about 13 minutes to go last Saturday against Charlotte. He's sustained an injury at some point not exactly sure when or what that injury is but he uh from what i've heard is a no-go uh, against utsa I already so, maybe out the rest of the year yeah and hopefully not significantly longer and uh, so you're gonna have to see tyler savage and then those young tight ends those those true freshmen like the serio riles step up Thankfully, we got Savage back last week, or we would be in a mess right now at tight end. Yeah, and you know, it's I do think that's going to change what we do a little bit because Savage, you know, he's more of a detached tight end. You know, he he's he's played some wide receiver. He's you know, you can put him in a slot a little bit, um, but he's not really an inline blocker. So you know, Calhoun, he, he's not you know his strongest asset asset isn't blocking but i think he does give you something there um so i think it does change a little bit what you do and um that's that's a huge loss calhoun is a huge loss i feel like he's been underutilized throughout the year um but he's a guy that you know it's going to be hard to overcome that loss now savage does have some ability um and i i would like to see us try to get him the ball he's a big target um, but he's going to have to step up this week. Problem is, even though blocking is strength, he's going to have to try to do it um, because you, we need all the extra blocking we can get. I, um, you know, the 24 sacks on the season, I believe, that UTSA had. Uh, yeah, this is not a good matchup for us, guys. This is, this is, it could get ugly. I'm hoping, I'm hoping we can keep it close. And it's sad to say that that's the same program that you hope we can keep it close, but. Um, I, I think it could get ugly Saturday. Yeah, if we manage to, you mentioned, hopefully, um, you know, we'll be able to do what we did against SMU and get the game to the fourth quarter and then take care of the football and maybe pull a, a shocker uh, as the Pirates are 18 and a half point dogs um, against UTSA. And uh, you know, should, should that happen, then uh, – yeah, and, but to your point about keeping it close, yeah, I mean, we would be, at this point, um, very pleased to have an opportunity to, to win the game, all things considered. That goes without saying. Um, you take a look at 
uh, UTSA, and we'll hear more about the Roadrunners uh, directly from their head coach, Jeff Trailer, who's in his fourth season there in San Antonio. Um, and, you know, he's a guy that, like Mike Houston, uh, his roots go back to the high school ranks and then um, had some direct ties um, to, I want to say it was Chad Morris. But um, Coach Trailer's obviously done a heck of a job, and, you know, you definitely want to hang around and hear what he had to say about his team. But uh, Frank Harris, we talked about seventh-year quarterback, the beneficiary of a medical red shirt and also COVID. Um, that UTSA program is just 12 years old, so Frank Harris has been around for over half the program's history, which is amazing. That's uh, insane. Yeah. <laughs> despite all their success and despite having those 12 and 11 win seasons, the, R the Roadrunners are looking for their first ever bowl win. Uh, they have been to four but have lost all of them. Uh, last year coming up short against Troy uh, down in the down in the um, down in Orlando um, in the Cure Bowl, but um, Frank Harris right at 1,200 yards in the five games he's played in 2023, nine touchdowns, five interceptions. So he has uh, you know turned it over a little bit. Uh, hopefully we can uh, force another one or two of those, uh, but. That's something that uh, Matt, you and I were discussing. The Pirates uh, have just generated in seven games what eight sacks. Yeah, that that's just a almost. I think it was even less than that, Bubba. Um, if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, that's that's tough. Was it five or eight? Yeah, I think it was what, five. Whatever is is it not five. many. <laughs> yeah, it's not many at all. And you know, I you know the best defensively, you know. What I'll say is I, I think we've played solid defense. Our offense needs to give them some hope. You know, they need to give them some hope. They need to put some points on the board um, and give that defense a chance because they're not going to be able to hold down UTSA for the entire game. Um, so you, you got to give them some hope on that side of the ball. And they're going to have to make plays, though, guys. I mean, that that's really what it comes down to is the defense is going to have to get some turnovers, they're going to have to get some pressure um, and, and maybe create some short fields for the offense. That's the only way that ECU is going to have a chance to win this game. And when, and when we do get the ball on a short field potentially or in the red zone, it's going to take touchdowns this week um, as opposed to field goals. You know, we're going to have to score touchdowns. Yeah, no doubt. We don't have any chance to win. And, yeah. and when UTSA gets down there, conversely, you know, we, we have to – to force them in two field goals, um, that's something that they're – once they get in the red zone, uh, they're scoring at a 72% clip uh, as far as um, punching it in four, six, uh, eight, 18 touchdowns in 25 red zone trips. Well, that's pretty salty. But um, taking a look, and I did confirm, Matt, uh, that was five sacks through seven games uh, for East Carolina. So very little, very little pressure. And man, Ooh, that's yeah, unbelievable. That's, that's yeah. hard. Surprising as well as our defense has played, it is really surprising that we don't do a better job of sacking the quarterback. And by comparison, last year in 13 games, we generated 29 sacks. And in last year, I know at times, you know, we talked about how it wasn't as good as it needed to be. So I mean, it's but at this point, we we would do anything for the pressure we had a, of a season ago. I, you know, I wonder 
are we trying to blitz as much? I, you know, I, I don't know. You know, when you blitz more, you, you, you're more likely to give up a big play. And the way we're, we're trying to, you know, play keep them close, uh, I wonder if the lack of uh, pressure on the quarterback comes from the lack of blitz where we're not wanting to leave our corners on an island because uh, we can't afford to give up a big play because we can't afford to give up a fast score um, because our offense is so inept. That's that's a very fair point. I mean, yeah. you, could, you, you almost have to rethink the way you play defense in that situation and maybe be a little more conservative and, and, and focus more on preventing big plays. Um, you know, what I, what I see, though, one of the one of the issues I see potentially is that a lot of our blitzes are they come from very far off the line of scrimmage. They're they're almost delayed blitzes and you can see them coming, you know, uh, Occasionally, I would just throw eight in the box and just get after it, man. Just man up on the outside, just create chaos up front, and just get out of it and try to make a play. Because some of those delayed blitzes, when you're when you're coming in as a linebacker from, you know, walking down over the slot receiver and then trying to blitz from that far out, you're just not going to get home. Right. I have a yeah. comment here on Facebook from Will Landon. He says, "With Shane Calhoun out, would you expect to see?" More 10 personnel, obviously uh, one running back, four wide receivers, um, but have to find some blocking up front. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, perhaps, but, you know, again, yeah, you have to find the blocking. Exactly. I, I you know, to answer your question, Will, who the hell knows? Uh, that makes sense with, with Calhoun out, but, again, um, uh, you know, the blocking could be an issue. Although, spread them out wide, uh, take wider gaps with your offensive linemen, try to make plays in space. I always, I always think that when, when, you, when you spread your offensive out wide, when you spread your offensive linemen out wide with wider gaps, I always think it's tougher to get pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, I think Will asked a good question. I mean, I, I think that's, that is probably what you're going to have to do because I, I just don't see – the inline blocker at tight end right now, you know, I think, and even Calhoun wasn't really a natural inline blocker, but now you look at Savage who really, he was a wide receiver. He's, he's really, and I'm saying, gaps. Oh, wait a minute, man. I'm sorry. I got to, I'm saying gaps. I mean, splits, but go ahead. No, I hear what you're saying. I mean, you're just, I, and that's, yeah, I think that's a good point too, Kyle. I mean, you, you widen the splits a little bit, you spread the field out, you create lanes. That's what Lincoln Riley is a master of when, and, when you look back to his time at East Carolina, wider splits, um, guys, you know, running backs that could find a crease, um, but spread the field out, and you know, just a different philosophy. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting, man. I, uh, you know, I, I do think you know Savage. One thing about him though is he's he's tall. He's probably six three, six four, and you might be able to if you get in the red zone, split him out a little bit and throw some fades or some jump balls to the back corner. Um, just Matt, you're cracking me up, man. Carmelo, he, Matt has a pug on. on, on uh, by the way, what you guys are hearing in the background is not Matt farting into the microphone. That's Carmelo's breathing. <laughs> I do. This this dog is right next to me. He's uh. He's snoring. He's, he's making all kinds of noises. So it's definitely not me. Thanks for calling that out, Kyle. Appreciate it. Well, I, no, I figured the listeners might be hearing it. <laughs> like one of us have gas. I'm like, who the hell's farting on top of the show? It's, it's, it's the that dog be, snoring. It's the pug. That would be my pug, man. That would be my pug. Earlier, when we were talking about the the Roadrunners' pass defense, I think on the season, uh, you know they. 
given up about 240 yards per game, I want to say, maybe a little more than that. But um, E.J. Warner, um, that was the game that I couldn't think of. I think they they beat Temple 49-34 in Philly. I want to say that was Frank Harris' first game back. But uh, Warner threw it 65 times, but he threw for 472 yards and five touchdowns. So you know, that gives me hope if we can protect, um, you know, for Alex Flynn or whoever's back there, then, you know, maybe we can generate enough through the air to uh, to get a little something done and give ourselves a chance to score some points. Yeah, I mean, uh, EJ Warner's a hell of a quarterback. I know right. Temple's really underseeded this year, and I, I believe EJ's out with the injury right now. But, I, uh, you know, I, I don't know that we have a quarterback that can do what EJ Warner can no, do. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not saying throw for 455 right, I know yards. You're not. I know just, you're not. Just like uh, a very inexperienced quarterback, Byron Brown for South Florida, lit up Rice for 400 yards right before we play him. And then right. Alex Flynn threw for about 250, 260, I want to say. Maybe it wasn't quite that much, but it, uh, I think that I think that number is pretty accurate. And so maybe, you know, we could do something of that nature, you know, throw for, throw for about 250 and finally have a – couple passing touchdowns or more to a, a wide receiver that would that would be great and uh, <laughs> lofty goals no, bubble. no sarcasm bubble no yeah sarcasm. Uh, that's just that's just blows my mind to think that we're seven games into the season and a wide receiver hadn't caught a touchdown pass no i mean why would you expect a wide receiver to, cut, to, to catch a touchdown pass bubba i mean that's insanity and, i uh, and johnny robertson said you know on the other side, uh, you know, some of the teams that throw it the least in the country, you know, Navy, Army, et cetera, um, have guys or have a total of four or five receiving touchdowns um, by, by wide receivers. If people don't understand, if some of the people think we're being too negative, if you don't understand why we're so pissed off, you should probably just stop watching football. My God, when when you when you read stats like that, it is beyond inept. It is unexcusably bad. And, and I'm sorry, I'm sitting here trying to be nice. This podcast, screw that noise. We suck donkey balls. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is friggin' ridiculous. When we we when you just say stuff like that, and I really think about it, I just get so freaking mad and frustrated. It's just unexplainable, unexcusable, and unacceptable. You know, it's it's funny you mentioned that, Kyle. This this has been a really interesting week. I think I've had more more feedback on the show this week, especially since our our post game show on Sunday night. I've heard from so many different people and had a lot of feedback. And you know, some people really put put it this way: there are some people who say, "Oh, you guys were a little too negative." But listen, we're we're. I don't see us. I think we're honest. I think we're brutally honest on this show. Maybe that doesn't resonate with everybody, but we're not going to sugarcoat it, man. Like you look at some of these stats to your point, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. And, uh, you know, you could try to put lipstick on a pig, you know, you could try to cover it up, but listen, we're going to be continue to be honest on this show. Um, it might come across as, as being negative, but Hey, it is what it is, man. I can't, what, what am I supposed to say? The offense is great. Uh, you know, we're playing well. We're not. Hey, Matt, what you know about an oinka? <laughs> well, 
<laughs> Matt, Matt, I even. I can't even. I'm not even gonna make the jokes I want to make. I know. I'm just <laughs> some of them girls from Jersey. You know. Hey, don't be making fun of Jersey girls now. Come on now. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've Springsteen wrote a lot of songs about them. <laughs> taking, a, taking a look at some of Frank Harris's options in the passing game, uh, you have Josh Cephas. I want to say he's a 6'3", about 190-pound wide I'm receiver. I'm his name to Bo. Yeah, yeah, the brother of Bo. But uh, 52 receptions right at 500 yards, six touchdowns, and leads the Roadrunners in all three of those categories, a uh, little over nine and a half yards per catch. They also have Ogle Kellogg. Um, you know, Ty Key, uh, Ogle Kellogg, 19. Ogle Kellogg. Yeah, hyphenated last name there, Ogle Kellogg. Uh, 19 catches, 349 yards and four touchdowns, nearly 18 and a half yards per reception. And then uh, Devin McEwen, 23 catches, 326 yards and two touchdowns, well over uh, or a little over 14 yards per catch. And he had a 72-yarder to his credit. Uh, so those are the – Top three options in the passing game. Uh, running back-wise, uh, they have Kavorian Barnes and then Robert Henry. Uh, that duo has has combined to rush for uh, well over 800 yards and nine touchdowns and averaging over five yards per carry. Uh, so it's a pretty solid run game there. Um, that's one of those situations where you have a really good passing game and people are scared of what Frank Harris can do. And uh, – you know, he gives you running backs opportunities. Um, I, I, I bet you money their, their yards per carry average went up significantly when Frank Harris came back. Kind of shifting gears and taking a look at the Pirates in a, in a couple of areas and that we had discussed off air. Um, we'll start at running back. I know we talked about Gerald Green and we'll probably be at our disposal on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Javius Bond will likely still be on the sideline. Uh, it, you know, um, and unavailable from what we're hearing. But uh, Marlon Gunn is obviously full go. Uh, Rajay Harris against Charlotte played 23 snaps, which was the fewest snaps he had played since the season opener against Michigan. Uh, so uh, what, what do you guys think about, uh, you know, how the snaps are divvied up there at running back? Well, I'd like to see us get Gerald Green on the perimeter. So when we run speed option, or any type of an option play, I'd like to see us use Gerald Green. You know, he did some of that down at Georgia Southern. Yep. And uh, he's, a, he's a proven commodity. You know, he's been a productive back at this level. And uh, he's had some injury. Um, but I think it's time now. It's time to get him the ball. So, you know, I really – this is kind of how I see it. I really like Rajay in certain situations. I think he's outstanding um, near the goal line. He is an outstanding red zone runner. Uh, he's very good in short yardage. I think when you're running speed option, you want to get the ball more to green or gun. And But Camaro, um, I've been very impressed with him too. He runs hard. So it's a lot of – it, and Marlon Gunn. I'm, I'm forgetting Marlon Gunn. You have a lot of guys in that room, but try to use them by their skill sets. You know yes. what I mean? Like I don't think Rajay – is necessarily a speed option running back. Um, we haven't done much speed option. Right. You know, I think that the few times we've done it, and I keep going back to that because, again, what I'm trying to do is find plays that get us to the perimeter a little bit. 
Yeah. Uh, as opposed to just banging our head up the middle every play. And if you're going to bang your head up the middle, I, middle, I say play Camaro Edmonds. Camaro has shown me the ability to make yardage on his own. Um, he's a guy that strikes me. Uh, I'll always use the term with running backs, get them lathered up. Edmonds is a guy I'd like to see get lathered up. I'd like to see him get multiple carries. I, I got a feeling he's one of those kids that will probably get stronger the more he runs the ball. And I, I'd love to see him get that opportunity. Coach Houston uh, mentioned Camaro's 17-yard run against Charlotte, and just and it was a counter play, and you know, he was a little too quick, um, got out in front of the pulling line, and that's I think that's that was the the blow that he took there at the line of scrimmage. Uh, did not realize that uh, live. I, I you know was talking to the person beside me, and I saw I just kind of caught a glimpse and hit got hit right there at the line, but then uh, turned it into a 17-yard, and that's what happened. Uh, he was a little too quick um, getting to the to the hole there um, out in front of his pulling lineman and because um, you know, Stephen Igo or someone had asked specifically about that run and uh, you know how he had made some things happen. Um, but speaking of the offensive line, um, we played eight a week ago. Um, it was primarily – you had Dustin Hall and Parker Moore, and they played all 52 offensive snaps. You had Emmanuel Poku, um, the the walk-on out of Charlotte. Um, he played 46 of the 52 snaps at right tackle. He, he played from the third series on, um, taking over for and taking over for um, Owen Murphy, who played the first six snaps at right tackle, the Akron transfer. Uh, you, you had Hampton Ergel. He played the first half at center. And then Ryan Beckman took over in the second half at center. And then um, notably, uh, Isaiah Foote played 34 snaps. Uh, all, all of those, I believe, coming – or most of those coming in the late in the first half and the entire second half at right guard. Yeah, you mentioned something earlier. One of you guys did. Uh, could Urkel play uh, – could he play left guard? You just wonder with the struggle. Left, left tackle. Left tackle. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, here's, here's what I would say is like, I think Parker Moore is more comfortable at right tackle. He played right tackle at West Virginia. Uh, he played right tackle last year. Now, with the departure of uh, Justin Red, who was our left tackle last year, he had to move over. I don't think he's necessarily a natural left tackle i think he's better at right tackle um i would move him back there honestly i really would i would get him back to a spot where he's where he's more productive and i would explore with that left tackle but to your point kyle yeah give give ergo a shot there maybe poku hopefully i'm saying his name right poku uh maybe he's more comfortable at left tackle i mean at this point you got to try everything Okay. So that's a long-winded, very long-winded answer, Kyle. But, yeah, I, I think so. Bubba, what do you think? Yeah, uh, it would be interesting to see uh, if that's something they've experimented with this week in practice um, because it was definitely a, a glaring concern last week, um, some, of the, some of the pressure that we had on Mason Garcia or Alex Flynn and, you know, to um, – to Parker Moore's defense on one of those plays, I believe, was in the first half. Um, and this was spoken about by Mike Houston and perhaps Donnie Kirkpatrick this week during press conferences that 
the inconsistencies where when when one guy's performing and doing his job, the other guy's not, and vice versa. Um, on one of those sacks, um, perhaps where you know Mason Garcia was hit two or three steps after he caught caught the snap from center. You were supposed to have a chip on that guy, um, for, and the left tackle receiving help, and Parker didn't receive the help from from the running back who was in the game at the time. Um, don't recall who. Doesn't matter, but. Uh, that's an example of you know, just the inconsistencies in execution. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, we haven't talked about special teams. Uh, if we get into that, uh, yeah, um, you know, um, our kicker uh, had had he'd been all right so far this year, but missed two key field goals against Charlotte. Um, obviously, I'm not putting the loss on him. We should have never been in that situation. Um, and we had him closer uh, for that last field goal and unfortunately took a sack. Um, that's something else. So going back to that game, um, not at this point that we want to talk about a game that was a week and a half ago. But uh, that Charlotte game, um, I, uh, I I think back to that last drive. And, you, you, you know, we've been critical of Houston at times for not being more aggressive. And back to NC State I last I see what season. you did there, Kyle, a week and a half ago. Yeah, thank you. Um, so you, you look you look back at the uh, the um, last year against NC State, for example, where he played for a field goal when experienced quarterback, um, and then in that situation, where in my opinion, you know, we had it at the twenty nine, and we should have been playing for a field goal uh, to send it to overtime at home, where you know Charlotte was pissing down their leg; they were scared to death at the end of that game. Had we went to overtime, that stadium got into it, we would have won that game. And um, you know, Houston chose to be aggressive there, surprisingly. And, um, you know, uh, instead of running the ball and sitting the field goal and, unfortunately, um, playing it sacked and, uh, you know, and through the sidelines ended up having to kick a longer field goal. But the point is, um, you, this, this, this turned into a ramble fest there, but the point is, is hopefully um, our kicker, whose name I cannot think of right now to save my Andrew life. Andrew Conrad. Conrad, thank you. Um, Hopefully Conrad bounces back after that performance last week, and uh, it doesn't get in his head too much. Well, that's the thing. Uh, you talk; it wasn't even so much that we didn't run the ball, but it, that uh, we we're throwing four verticals. I found that interesting. I think he was trying to go. I think he, I think we wanted to take a shot there, Bubba. I think he was going to try to win the game instead of play for overtime, which normally I'd be in favor of. But in that situation the way our line has struggled right. and the way we've struggled on offense, I, I did not think that was the time to do that. Right. And people will say it's second guessing, but no, I, I just think you got to have a feel for things. And uh, even when we've been winning, sometimes I've wondered about Houston's natural feel for things at the end of ball games. Uh, go back and look at that Navy game, for example. Yeah. And that was pretty head scratching, but fortunately, Holt Naylor's and Tyler Sneed made a play, and uh, and then Owen Daffer belt us out, yep. delivered the dagger. But uh, one other personnel matter, switching over the defensive side of the ball, wanted to point out and highlight the play of D Nash. Uh, Matt, uh, what do you think about the play of D Nash last week? You, know, you, you had Omar Rogers and Tegan Wilk, um, two. You know, key pieces there uh, in the secondary and safeties uh, out. And uh, you know, D Nash 
comes up big playing in 59 of the 69 defensive snaps. I thought he did a really good job there. I mean, hey, <laughs> you know, and he guys, you Kyle, you hear the dog in the background? Is that you laughing? At? Yeah, my wife busted out laughing, and I couldn't help but laugh at everything. This dog, man, he, he he all he does is snore. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, very impressive uh, performance by D Nash. Yeah, he he's got a lot of talent. Highly recruited out of high school. Um, we've needed all of our depth at safety this year. You know, um, between the injuries to Tegan Wilk and now Omar Rogers, so. Happy to see him step up, man. I think he's got a bright future for us. Matt, back before you did the podcast, um, when we were doing audio only way back in the day, those those old shows can be found on archives at uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. But uh, there was an episode. Uh, we had a basketball player on. Bubba, you'll remember this. I don't remember who it was. I fell asleep. This is uh, back before I got on the CPAP machine. And, I, you know, I have sleep apnea. And so I was struggling to stay awake. I think it was Lusty Lines. Huh? Lester Lyons. Yeah, Lester Lyons. Exactly. I fell asleep. One the of the best day. everywhere the purple and gold. Yes, and I just started snoring during the podcast. Uh, yeah, it was <laughs> there was no hiding. I mean <laughs> it was it was bad. It was bad. I, but again, I have a medical condition that had not been treated at that time. I was not on the CPAP machine yet. It was due to sleep apnea and lack of sleep at night. And uh so uh, yeah, I fell asleep during the during the podcast with Lester Lyons and just started sawing wood during the podcast so if you, you guys want to find that episode in archives to hear me snore it's the lester lines episode it's probably from about three years ago at this point there you go that'll be a good youtube short there you go put her out there <laughs> but uh taking a look at this atmosphere carmelo we're trying to do a podcast here <laughs> yeah taking a look at this atmosphere at the alamo dome um the Roadrunners are averaging 33,000, a little over 300 through three home games. Um, they had 49,342 um, for their victory over Texas State, uh, 20 to 13 win. Uh, a Texas State team is having a pretty good season thus far. But then you, you had for uh, Army, uh, this surprised me a bit, uh, 27,138, and then for UAB, 23,808. The this Army was, game The army game was a weeknight game. Um, yeah, yeah. Fr- was it Friday in the game? It was a Thursday or Friday, I forget which, but it hurt their attendance some. But uh, they they, uh, they draw pretty well down there, yeah. and uh, Frank Harris was also out for that Army game, so they might not want to come watch, but they, they were going to lose. But um, – I, uh, but it was a weeknight game, but they, they have a really good hand base and they, in the city of San Antonio has almost treated UTSA like, um, an expansion team in the NFL or something. When, when they started FBS football, uh, you know, 12 years back or however many years back it's been now and joined, uh, you know, and eventually joined conference USA. If I remember right, they, they either were going to be in the old WAC or they initially started out in the old WAC. I forget now it's been so long when the WAC folded. But the city of San Antonio has treated that university like an expansion NFL team and has really embraced them. Um, they've had great attendance from year one, and it really has stayed consistent. Their fan base is very passionate. They get very into the games. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know how many of our fans have watched UTSA play this year. If you haven't this year, I've watched them over the last several years. I've followed Conference USA. I still follow Conference USA. I guess I'm sick. Um, but great fan base uh, that is one thing i can't say about uh, about that ad utsa has good football and they have a good fan base and you correct kyle um, their their initial season of football was played 
in the WAC in 2012. They went eight and four under Larry Coker. There you go. And, and then um, in Conference USA 2013 through 2022. And um, yeah, under Larry Coker, eight and four, seven and five, and then four and eight before they, excuse me, then three and nine in his four seasons. Then they had Frank Wilson, who I believe um, had been a high profile assistant at LSU. And then uh, onto the third coach in the program's history, um, Jeff Trailer, who is now in his fourth season. So, uh, and have, having been to, to three bowl games in as many years in his first three seasons in San Antonio. Not scared to make a coach and change there in San Antonio, despite the program being so young. And uh, every time they've made a change, it has worked out for the better. Um, you know, Coker was kind of getting towards the end of his career. He stepped down. Uh, that, that the next coach came in, had some success, was a good recruiter, um, and had mediocre success on the field. And they fired him. And now, um, Trailer's there and has lit it up. Jeff Trailer, 55 years old. Uh, be very interesting to see in the next year or few, you know, who makes a run at him. Uh, and, He's paid very well and has right. a lot of incentives in his contract. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Um, I want to say it's what it about two and a half million or something. Uh, um, it may be even a little look more up than that. that number. Yeah, and I remember I had a lot of incentives. Uh, he uh, he's very well paid um, down there in San Antonio. So, yep, under the terms of a ten-year, twenty-eight million dollar contract signed in October twenty-one, Jeff Trailer's base pay of base pay of two and a half million dollars. Yeah, and then it's and then it's got a lot of incentives. Wow. He's got a lot of incentives that bring it up even higher than that. So, uh, yeah, he's very well paid down there. Um, they they have the ability uh, with success to eventually be a Power Five program. You hate to say no it. Well, they have fertile recruiting grounds down fertile there. Fertile recruiting ground, big big media market, and this is a case where the media market. I, I hate the media market argument, but this is a case where in their cases is valid because they do have support. And in a city the size of San Antonio, there's only one professional team and that's the Spurs. There's no NFL team. There's no major league baseball team. There's no hockey team. So they are the only other show in town. So, uh, you know, I hate that media market argument, but in their case it's valid. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think that's a really good point, but you gotta be, you gotta be impressed what they've been able to do in a short period of time with that program. And coach is doing a tremendous job. Um, Hey, now, you know, there was a question. I think it was uh, Emmanuel. Bubba, I don't know if you can throw that one up. He was asking for. Uh, Remember those movies, Matt? Scorpion. Which one? The Emmanuel movies. The Emmanuel movies? No. Never mind. Move on. Move on. Somebody's laughing their ass off right now. Move on. <laughs> I missed that one. But uh, Emmanuel, all right. What's the score going to be, guys? Um, man. Whew. Bubba, you want to take first crack at this one? Sure. Uh, let's go. Put you on the spot, buddy. Put you on the yep. spot. Since D. Riznich isn't here, uh, you, you got to use that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> D. Yeah, D. Rizzy. Every, everybody, everybody's missing D. Rizzy. No. Uh, let's see. Let's go. Roadrunners. Let's see. Roadrunners, 34, East Carolina, 10. 
Yeah, okay. I, I'm, I'm going to go. Uh, I keep having it, a score in my head over and over. Um, I hope this isn't the case, but since it's the score that keeps popping in my head, I'm going to just say it. Um, 42 to 7, Roadrunners. Mm. Mm. That's a tough mm. one. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking 35 13. You know, 35 13, Pirate. I mean, Roadrunners. <laughs> uh, yeah. 35-13. I mean, listen, I would love nothing more than to see ECU turn it around, play a great game. Um, but there's no there's no evidence that suggests that we're going to be able to keep this game tight because no. of the offense. Now, e- defensively, you could play a really solid game and still give up 35 points. That's the thing. And we've done that. Uh, and we, yeah, and we have. And, and just in college football in general in 2023, you could play a pretty solid defensive game and give up 35 points. So – you know, the offense has to give those guys a chance. They have to. And what I'm just hoping for, guys, is, like, if we're going to go down, go down swinging, be aggressive early in the game, take some deep shots, try to stretch their defense out a little bit, try to open things up. Don't play scared offensively. You have nothing to lose. Um, so just be aggressive, man. Be aggressive with the play calling. Create the run based off of the pass, not vice versa. Let me, let me just repeat that one more time. Do not run the ball up the middle and try to create passing off of that. Create the run off of spreading the field and utilizing the passing game. That's got to be the the recipe here. Don't don't be ridiculous, Matt. That's never worked in East Carolina. Never, never, even when Lincoln was here. When Lincoln was here, we didn't do that. When Logan was here, we didn't do that. That's insanity. So, Emmanuel, that's probably not the answer you were looking for, brother. But uh, it is what it is, man. That's uh, I think we're all pretty consistent with our scores there. Yeah, yeah. we have we have a few um, viewers chiming in with their predictions as well. And Brian Pace says Roadrunners forty, Pirates seventeen. Um, Kenneth Maynard on YouTube, UTSA thirty eight, East Carolina six. Um. Jeff Collins, some typo here. Obviously, he, he has his plain East Tennessee State, but the but the road road road, road, road runners twenty four, East Carolina six. I, I think we might could beat ETSU. Maybe, maybe yeah, they, they're in a they're in a down year. I want to say they're about one in five or six as well. I kind of so. wish we played ETSU this year. Yeah, <laughs> ETSU, not WCU. Yeah, yeah. You know, what are you talking about? They lost to Furman, dude. They're horrible. Yeah, that, that top five Furman team. Yeah. Exactly. And um, let's see, Johnny Robertson. Yeah, he, he thinks it's going to, I guess, come down to the wire a bit. Uh, 30 to 24 Roadrunners. UTSA is terrible in pass coverage, which we, we discussed and uh, said that if. Alex Flynn gets some time to throw. There's definitely some things to exploit there as it was against Rice, which is uh, our high water mark in the passing game where we threw for over 260 yards. And uh, Johnny thinks that we can exploit that as well and give UTSA a run for its money on homecoming in the Alamo Dome. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that that be something if if we lit it up somehow and uh, got a couple turnovers and pulled the upset? I mean, that, that. that would turn the season around. I mean, that would change the narrative completely. I mean, it it wouldn't get the loss of that the, the taste of that Charlotte loss out of your mouth because you still freaking lost to Charlotte. But it would certainly it would certainly change the narrative from my end. 
uh, which, you know, and a lot of other people's end. Um, so, uh, you know, I hope Johnny's right and even more so. I hope, uh, Oh, we can pull the upset. This is in about anybody. Nobody wants let's 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 be that clear for anybody who seems to be confused on the matter. We do not want Mike Houston to fail. We do not want this football program to fail. Nothing would make me happier than to or any of us happier than to see this team win out. Um, but we're just being realistic. Uh, believe Absolutely. me, Absolutely. nothing would be. I mean, I'd be, I'd be, uh, I'd be. Uh, Tickled, uh, tickled shitless, if we uh, if we somehow manage to uh, beat UTSA. No doubt, I and mean, you know if we we found a way to uh, to win this week, and then you're coming home to play a, a ranked Tulane team. Oh yeah, yeah. I just it's just there's just hey. no evidence that it can be done. Right, so, and but- uh, kind of along the same lines of what Johnny Robertson was saying, going way back uh, about. An hour ago uh, or so, uh, Johnny Gardner chimed in with this comment. I was waiting for appropriate time to bring it up. And he said, in good seasons, we've always had a, a WTF game, you know, that's gone against yep. us. I see this being a flip side of that. You know, you think back 99, uh, we were off to the excellent start. We go down to UAB and uh, lay an egg in the second half. You know, and get shut out and um, beat by about three touchdowns by the Blazers. Uh, a lot of other games come to mind as well. Um, the the game at Temple in 2014, and, and uh, two lane 2013. Yep, two lane in 2013. That's funny you bring that one up because that's that's the game that immediately came to mind when Johnny made that comment because oh, I hate that, because that year we lost in triple overtime to. Was it like thirty three to thirty to two. Yeah, you felt like we were going to win it there at the end, and then we ended up losing, it and stinking overtime. We moved the ball up and down the field all game, and had failed to convert in the red zone. Had thrown a pick six, and uh, so is Johnny Gardner calling for the WTF game for UTF. Yeah, Johnny, if you still tune in, uh, are you saying uh, you think the Pirates managed to pull it out, or do you see a narrow defeat like Johnny Robertson's? Let let us know if you're still tuned in. Uh, I, I, I keep having these images in my head, and maybe it's just wishful thinking. Yes, very much so, Pace. I like the 2002 TCU game where that, Pirates, well, you beat me to it. I, you, he, the Pirates he, were three and six, I want to say, and then uh, and then beat the Horn Frogs. Uh, Travis Heath with a big was it a was it a strip and score or a yeah, pick, yeah, pick, right. pick six? I want to say like it was a strip, strip and score. score. Um. That's what I was just about to say. I keep having these visions of that game in my head, but it's not. It's not for this one. I keep thinking about next week as the top twenty-five Tulane comes in here and probably going to be overlooking the Pirates and thinking to hit whoever their next opponent is. And and uh, historically, Tulane, you know, I think they won in Greenville one time ever, one time ever. Keep that in mind next weekend. Um, I, I just I, I keep having this weird fall in my head that somehow we managed to upset Tulane. Well, this this is a – go ahead, Bob. Go ahead. Now, what I had on the screen there, Kenneth Maynard, the, the, he said the WTF scenario could be if ECU cost Tulane in the conference a, a New Year's Six. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's what I was – yeah. I keep having that thought in the back of my head, but, you know, that's probably just wishful thinking. And then Pays said that that TCU team was ranked. Uh, yes, they were. They go were go ahead, Matt. 23rd, I believe. 
I mean, I was just going to say, like, the challenge from Mike Houston this week is to to not let the wheels come completely off of this thing. And, you know, even though the record is bad, you, you can still see effort, you know, uh, especially from the defense. The defense is playing really well. Um, so you can still see effort. The challenge for him is not to let the wheels to come off of this thing so bad that it just can't be repaired for the rest of the season. That's that's what I worry about a little bit this week um, in this environment against this team with a 12-year quarterback. Um, you got to find a way to be – you got to find a way to be competitive. I mean, do you guys understand what I'm saying there about that? I mean – I do, yeah. You, you, you don't want to lose the locker room, basically, and have the team fall apart. The defense to say, screw this, we try for nothing. And just all to go to hell. I, I I do I do understand what you're saying because the noise has never been louder uh, as it has been after the Charlotte game. So you could lose the team in a hurry if, if if things get off to a bad start in San Antonio. Right, exactly. And as we talked about before the show, I mean, if you're gonna have a any type of rebound next year, where you're able to have a winning season or you know a solid season. What you're going to have to do is find a way to keep this defense together. You have to keep this defense together. You have to keep guys from going into the portal, um, and you have to keep adding pieces to it, maybe a pass rusher. Uh, well, definitely a pass rusher if you can. But if you can find a way to keep this defense together and then in the offseason really focus on, you know, generating some good solid offensive linemen, obviously a quarterback and a wide receiver. Um, then you actually have a chance for a quicker turnaround, but I just worry a little bit about the wheels coming off and uh, hopefully that's not the case this week. Time will tell. Taking a look uh, very quickly at some other action taking place this weekend, you know, whether it's in the American or just around the nation in general. Um, before we go to this 20 or so minute interview, a press conference with UTSA head coach Jeff Trailer. Um, you have Kyle. Uh, what has James had to say with everything going on there in Hattiesburg? The Golden Eagles are one and six, and they're they're traveling up the mountain. The Mountaineers three and four with four losses there, either in overtime or the final minute of the game. He's not very positive. Uh, he, he's ready to see Will Hall hit the road. Uh, this is year three for Will Hall, and um, they're awful. They may be worse than we are. Um, so uh, he's ready to see Will Hall hit the road. He, he's not very optimistic about their chances in Boone. In, in absolute need of a win. Uh, they've lost two in a row. Uh, played good football, close losses. So uh, uh, I got a feeling App wins when they cover. Speaking of the Sun Belt, a uh, big Sun Belt East game going on as we speak. Uh, Georgia Southern in Statesboro is leading Georgia State 44-27. Georgia Southern looking to become bowl eligible and get to 6-2. and two. Uh, Georgia State is already bowl eligible at 6-1, and one, um, but looks like the Panthers will suffer their second defeat of 2023 tonight as they trail the Eagles 44-27 with just over six minutes remaining. Uh, Tulsa transfer quarterback Davis Brin has lit it up tonight for Georgia Southern. 22 out of 33, 334 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. 
You saw that NIL money at Georgia Southern, how they got that, that transfer quarterback from Tulsa. And, um, Must be. Paying their head coach $800,000. He was a freaking head coach at USC. But, you know, hey. Um, now, 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 couldn't we have had him here in Greenville, guys? Yes. The quarterback, yes. One would think. Yes. You, you have um, – There was rumors JT Daniels was interested in coming to Greenville. And then you have Virginia Tech leading Syracuse 38-10 to 10 with a little over three minutes to play in the game. Now how about the Hokies turning it around since that yeah. Yeah, Marshall loss? Yeah, they've been playing good football, so good for them. Um, yeah, I, I, they, go ahead. They, and they started off the year um, one and three, but that third loss uh, of that uh, you know third loss in a row uh, came at Marshall 24-17, but then as Kyle mentioned, they bounced back to – the following week, uh, a solid defeat over the Pitt Panthers, 38-21 at Lane Stadium. Then went to Florida State. Um, that game was much more competitive than the 39-17 final. Uh, at one point, they were trailing just 22-17. And then they they uh, defeated Wake Forest 30-13 and then 38-10 tonight with just over three minutes remaining. So that would get them to 4-4. Four and four. And their other win is over a pretty solid ODU team. Yep, and so and they have they definitely have the ability to to win at least a couple in the month of November at Louisville. That would be a challenge, but then at BC certainly winnable. NC State, uh, the way they've struggled um, coming to Lane Stadium, and then that rivalry game with Virginia. Who knows? So Hokies could win six or seven games and. Uh, to, to some Virginia Tech fans, you know, at one point uh, they would have kind of laughed at that. But uh, at, at this point, they, they would love a six or seven win season. And second year for that guy, he's building. So for him to start turning it around midseason this year or just before midseason this year, and if he can continue that momentum, um, they got to feel good about next year. So uh, uh, good for them. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know why I'm happy about that, honestly. After they quit playing us and whip Babcock and all that, I, I guess it's just old feelings. You know, we always used to think of all the schools in the ACC. Virginia Tech was our ally for so long, and unfortunately that's not the case anymore. One of the top matchups of the weekend, uh, number eight Oregon traveling to Salt Lake City to take on 13th-ranked Utah. The Utes uh, did it again to USC, uh, winning on the last-second field goal. And Oregon is a six and a half point favorite uh, over the Utes there in Salt Lake City. Well, I, uh, you know what, Utah's pretty be- tough to beat at home. Um, I-, I would almost, you know, I in Salt Lake, I, I don't know, I might like Utah in that game. That's a, there. You have a couple of teams, you know, playing to keep their playoff hopes alive. Yeah, anything else do you think of the SEC, uh, ACC that we need to be aware of? Let's see, in, in the SEC. Or in the American. You have the, the world's largest outdoor cocktail port, party, even though they don't uh, call it that anymore. Uh, Georgia, Florida. Not, not in this PC world, uh, but uh, number one. How Georgia. is that not politically so that correct? So mean, that just means we need to double down and call it that more often. How is that not politically correct? Anything? The world's largest outdoor 
cocktail party. Well, how is it not politically correct? Who does it not? Who does it exclude? Who doesn't? Who, who's not? Who doesn't drink cocktails? Yeah, Kyle, everybody in this. Everybody's offended about everything. Is it because but, it says cock and tail? It, it could be, for all okay. we know. But but my natural instinct when when the world goes PC, I go the other way and I double down. So I'll call. It I'm gonna call it the world largest. I'm gonna call it the world's largest tail cock party. <laughs> oh, you got one of them there, Orgies. <laughs> the number one Georgia Bulldogs, 14 and a half point favorite over Wait, Florida. Who, so they're really not calling it that anymore? That happened in a few years. Yep. You got to be. No. Unbelievable, man. This this is just, this is going way too far. It's <laughs> going way too far. Bubba's going to try to bring up the data on when that. Well, well, no, I'm, I'm just seeing if they're, I'm trying to recall if there's a new name for it. Uh, yeah, it's called the Florida Georgia game. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think they have renamed it, Bubba. Um, it's just right, they just so. don't call it that anymore. Uh, anything else? What, what about the American? What, what's the big matchup this well, week? An, another one in the SEC is definitely worth keeping an eye on. Uh, I say that. I mean, not not as much uh, since Tennessee got beat by Alabama last week, but uh, an, an intriguing matchup nonetheless. That rivalry matchup. With number twenty-one Tennessee going to Lexington, uh, three and a half point favorite over Kentucky. That's the one to watch whether they lost Alabama or not. Uh, uh, Kentucky's a good football team. Um, I, I yeah, that's a very good matchup. Uh, Tennessee Kentucky. Uh, who, who did the Tar Heels? They they bounce back this week or they they off? Who do they, they go to Georgia Tech. So. Who the hell knows what's going to happen in that game? Georgia Tech is. Is they're they're one team one wink one team the next. Uh, they're eleven and a half point favorite over the jackets. So they may cover, they may lose. Nothing would surprise me in that game. Me either. That's one I, I think I'd stay away from if I was a gambling man. Same. Uh, anything in the American? This, this is an interesting one with Virginia coming off that win at North Carolina. Now they're going to Coral Gables um, to take on Miami, who had that overtime win over Clemson. Um, Virginia is an 18 and a half point dog. So you have two teams looking to handle success from a week ago. Um, I would probably, I would lean toward uh, taking the Cavs and the 18 and a half in that one. I like that young quarterback at Virginia. I said it all year. If he ever put it together, Virginia would be pretty good. And they put it together against North Carolina. Now, can they do it consistently? Uh, we'll find out this weekend in Coral Gables. Um, do you want to move to the American yet, or is there anything else? I'll, I'll give you a quick one before we go to the American. Okay. Ohio State going into uh, Camp Randall to play Wisconsin this weekend. Kind of a, a little bit of a track game. You know, Ohio State coming off a huge win against Penn State at home. Now they have to go on the road to play Wisconsin, 14-point favorite. I think that's going to be a very close game. Watch yeah. out. And these, are, and these are your two saying. southern boy, and these are the your two southern boys' reaction to Big Ten football. You guys got to give the ben, Big Ten some love, man. Come on, <laughs> come on now. Uh, uh, it's a very, 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 very physical conference, and they have a lot of good football teams. Listen, the Big Ten is the best this time of year because it starts to get cold. You start yeah. to get some like freezing rain, some snow, and what I always say is, listen. To some of the southern teams, come up to uh, come up to to Michigan, come up to Penn State when it's 15 degrees outside. Well, I'm sure eventually that'll happen when the Big Ten invites Florida and the University of Cuba 
for that Cuba media market um, next. Kyle, you mentioned within the American, um, North Texas played Tulane very well, came back from a couple of three touchdown deficits against the Green Wave, and then and then Tulane had to win it late on a on a Michael Pratt touchdown run with two or three minutes to go. Uh, Memphis is traveling to North Texas this week. The Tigers a seven point favorite. Memphis is five and two, looking to stay in the thick of the. Oh, AAC. that could be an upset. That, yeah. that that that's got upset written all over it. Looking to stay in the thick of the American race, you know, with UTSA and, and SMU and Tulane, uh, who are who are uh, right there at the top of the the conference. Tulane, on the other hand, the Green Wave, twenty second, and um, they're ten and a half point favorite at Rice. Yeah, and, and and that you know what, um, Rice is weird, man, because they played they played their worst two football games against us, which they managed to win, and against uh, UConn for whatever reason. UConn's awful this year. Um, I uh, you know who knows Rice Rice could get Tulane some trouble, or Tulane may blow them out. Uh, that, that's one that I'd also stay away from the uh, spread. In the Big Ten, um, in Matt, there you go, which, Matt. We're gonna talk Big Ten football. Which which so, game? Which game did you just reference, Matt? Ohio he, State. Yeah, he talked okay. about the Ohio State Wisconsin game. Okay, because I'd stepped away for a moment. I, yeah, and that's one that's intriguing because of Luke Fickle being a Buckeye, and you know having been on that staff, and then I guess the, what, even the interim coach on on that staff. I want to say. You know, for that program, I should say. But um, the Badgers, 5-2, and two, they had the loss at Washington State in week two. Uh, and then uh, their other loss was a 15-6 thriller to Iowa. Uh, they're at Camp Randall. And they're a 14-and-a-half-point they're dog. Um, yeah, say, but Matt, Matt was saying he liked Wisconsin potentially pull the upset in that one. And, I, think, I think it's a little bit of a letdown game from Ohio State. I really yeah, I, I at least like them in the points um, because they're they're coming off that big win over Penn State, uh, going to Camp Randall, and you know Wisconsin's had this one circled. And uh, yeah, I definitely take the Badgers in fourteen and a half. It's kind of kind of like Charlotte had the one circled against East Carolina, fellas. Yeah, no doubt. They did, and they smoked those victory cigars once they got back off the bus in Charlotte. It was a Biff Posey special. <laughs> how is that allowed? How do you? How do you? How, how is? How is it allowed for the football players to to intake a tobacco product, but you can't call a game the world's largest cocktail party? What kind of freaking sense does that make? <laughs> Biff Posey don't play by those rules, Kyle. Well, I believe we had victory cigars after our bowl game. So I, I, I just I just don't understand. I'm still confused about why the world's largest cocktail party is offensive. It's only offensive if you're a pansy. I have a lot of those in the world. Um, <laughs> anything yeah. else in the Big Ten, or what about the Pac-12, Mountain West, Mickey Of note in the Big Ten, um, Matt Rule and the Cornhuskers certainly not uh, turning heads uh, with the. With the way they're winning these games, but hey, you have to give them credit. It's year one, and um, 
they've won four out of their last five. They dropped their wow. first. They dropped their first two, um, losing a heartbreaker on a last-second field goal. I think it's the final play of the game, maybe at Minnesota, um, maybe a fifty-plus-yard field goal in Week One, thirteen to ten. Then they went and got beat 36-14 at Colorado, a game that was probably a little bit closer than that score would lead you to believe. But since, beat Northern Illinois 35-11, beat La Tech 28-14, got throttled by Michigan 45-7, but then bounced back with a 20-7 win at Illinois and then beat Northwestern 17-9 in Lincoln last week. And they have Purdue coming to town. So they're 4-3. and three, And um, after Purdue, they go to Michigan State, which is obviously very, very winnable, and they'll probably be favored in that one, even on the road. Um, they have Maryland in Lincoln, which will be a be a test. The Terps are pretty good, and they go to Camp Randall, which is challenging, and then they have Iowa coming to town, which is which with the way the Hawkeyes play offense, averaging two hundred and forty-five yards of offense. What's our former passing game coordinator doing at Maryland? What's his title? I believe he's uh, the same title, but uh, not 100% there. Interesting. He was a head coach. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. Latrell Scott. Yeah. Just kind of, you know, just thinking out loud. Point he's putting being, together a good staff there, guys. I mean, you don't realize uh, Kevin Sumlin is there. Yeah. I did not realize that. I mean, that, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a very good staff they put together up at Maryland and uh, – you know, you got I know be, you're a big uh, Kevin Sumlin fan. Uh, you know, I think I do think he's a very good coach. You know, you brought up a good point the other night. He had the one blip on his resume at Arizona, um, but you know, I think if he's if he's up to the challenge, I think if he's motivated, I think at that point he was a little burned out. Probably shouldn't have taken that job. The guy can coach, you know, so. Kevin I, I Sumlin, think he will head get coach, Latrell Scott, OC. He'll get another opportunity as a head coach at some point down You would line. expect those two boys could probably work the portal pretty well. You would think so. Shell Powell chiming in from and Charles. And by the way, for anybody who's offended, I admit nothing by that when I call them boys. I don't want anybody to take that wrong. Oh, yeah, I, I got you. Yeah. Absolutely. No doubt, no doubt on that. Uh, Matt, uh, Shell says – I mean, he was out uh, you know, doing some things, just tuning in, missed the beginning of the show. His dad and his daughters are University of Georgia grads uh, with the world's largest outdoor cocktail party taking place in Jacksonville this weekend between the Gators and Dogs. Uh, who do you have with the spread? Um, the Gators are getting 14 and a half. Georgia. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I – Florida has been such a bizarre team this year. They're very up and down. I just think Georgia is when they when Georgia turns it on, when push comes to shove, they're the best team in the country. And uh, if I had to put money on that game, I'd take Georgia. And of note, uh, obviously Georgia is without their star tight end Brock Bowers. So. Ah, that now that's a good point because yeah, he he he's the best tight end in the country. So you know. And exactly. Florida's coming off a open date. I'm, all good points. I still believe I'd take Georgia. Yeah. yeah. And what's up, Sean? That, that that's one that I think I'd probably, with it being a rivalry game, I think I'd probably stay away from. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, and that's a good point too. I I could see it being, uh, you know, a thirty-one thirteen or something, a, a, a late cover situation by Georgia. Yeah, well, a late cover is a cover, but exactly, I'm with exactly. You. But that's why I'd stay away from it because I think it'll be. I think it'll. Yeah. So if you're looking at the show for gambling advice, Bubba's telling you don't bet that game. That's a stay away. That's a major stay away. Kenneth Maynard. Point, uh, oh, yeah, thanks. I was going to say, I saw the comment from Johnny. Um, interesting news there about the DUI. That's that's unfortunate. Uh, I take back my comments about Kevin Sumlin getting another head coaching job. Oh, wow. I uh, Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, with the uh, with, with 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 the breaking news there, uh, did not know that. Um, doesn't change the fact that he's a good offensive mind, but uh, that sucks, man. I, ben, you never know with the DUI. There, there's no excuse for it, but all DUIs ain't created equally. And for anybody who's lost anybody to drunk driving, I'm sure you know they're going to tell me to piss off, and I don't blame them. But not all DUIs are created equally. I, you know, I I, I hate to hear that. But you got to be smarter than that, Coach. The thing is, like, in this day and age, man, like, I have zero tolerance for, DD, for DUIs because of the fact that Uber uh, is good so point. convenient. Good point. And, good point. And, and, you know, it's the thing is, too, like, these guys, a guy like Kevin Sumlin, right, he's probably making, well, I, I don't even know what his title is there. If he's the OC, I have no idea. He's, he's probably making over a million dollars a year. Pay for a damn Uber. It's not and, that hard. And to JR's. He he corrected his post. He said, "Actually, Maryland did not play last Saturday, and and that is right. They were uh, open, and and then um, that DUI occurred down in the state of Florida during during that open week. Probably down there recruiting. Wow. <laughs> but then um, let's see. And <laughs> Shell agrees with us as far as that staying away from the." Florida, Georgia, 14 and a half uh, spread. And uh, as, as far as that one's concerned, uh, uh, one reason to, to stay away from it, or perhaps, you know, if you want to put money on Georgia, one reason to, to bet Georgia to cover the 14 and a half is despite Florida's win at South Carolina, Graham Mertz, uh, I heard this on Pot Up with Matthews in the morning, I want to say, or some other college football podcast that despite Graham Mertz's success against the Gamecocks, um, the Gamecocks were able to get pressure on Mertz, some, something ridiculous like t- 25 or 28 uh, hurries. And uh, Mertz was still able to uh, perform the way he did against the Gamecocks. And obviously Georgia's defense is better, a lot better than South Carolina's. Yeah. Did, uh, did, did Coach Bramer break his foot again or anything? Yeah, that's something we have not discussed. I mean, how about uh, Shane Beamer after that Florida game? A heartbreaking loss to the Gators. Uh, he broke his foot and kicking something in the locker room or in the tunnel, what whatnot. Yeah, I love Shane Beamer. Good, good, good coach. Nice hey, guy. He was, he, was, he was laughing about it, you know. Yeah, he got a lot of grief for that too, for for laughing about it. You know, Paul Feinbaum. Literally, I mean. He he ripped 
Beamer a new one for the way he handled that press conference. I as as I typically do, I disagree with Feinbaum. Um, listen, the guy's passionate. His team blew a lead in that game. They shouldn't have blown that lead. They shouldn't have lost that game. He overreacted a little bit. He's human. What uh, if what if I'm giving grief about? Oh, he! You should go back and listen to it. You'd be so fine bound. I'll try to find the clip and send it to you, Kyle. For laughing about breaking his foot, or I want to yeah, say, like, I want to say it was on su- Sunday, Bloody Sunday. Was he, with, was he supposed to apologize? He, he he was he he felt like I guess fine bound. What he was saying was a it was irresponsible. You know, as the yeah, head coach, you can't do things like that. Oh, kiss my ass, Paul Feinbaum, you big-eared bastard. <laughs> a face that made for radio and somebody put him on TV. I can't stand that guy. He's one of those guys that just needs to be drug out in the yard pistol-whipped. Oh, my God. That was the best That was the best 15 seconds in the history of podcast. Pistol-whipped. <laughs> I'm saying, I, I can't stand him. He's a sm- I can't. Nothing pisses me off more than smarmy. He's a smarmy little. He's he he he'd be whistling. He he'd be whistling "Stranger in Paradise" in a locker room. I'm telling you, he, he's a smarmy little. Ugh, God, I can't stand it. You see it, Matt? But fine bomb <laughs> Chain, chained to a stake in Jason, North Carolina. <laughs> can we get, can we try to get Feinbaum on this show? Yeah, that send him be... that clip and then ask him if he wants to come on and defend himself. <laughs> I mean, hey, hey Matt, who do you have more disagreements with, Feinbaum or Rosenbaum? Definitely Feinbaum. Definitely <laughs> Feinbaum. No, no doubt about it. You know, Let's the only here. thing I disagree with Rosenbaum about is, you know, who if there's better food in the north or the south. That's about the okay. only thing. Well, it depends, on, it depends on what you want. I mean, if you want Italian food, uh, you can't beat the northeast. But it, it just depends on what you want. I mean, there's there's different cuisines. That are better in different parts of the country. Fair enough, I, I'll agree with that. I'll I mean, you, that. you know, I would, I like it. You know, if I want to, if I want to, if I want, you know, pasta or, or a Reuben or a cheesesteak or pizza, I'm definitely going northeast. But if you want barbecue or, or, or home cooking, fried chicken, you know, uh, stuff like that, um, south by far. Fair enough. Can you get a good biscuit in Connecticut? Yeah. Tough to find a good biscuit up here. Yeah. It is. It really is. Uh, it's funny when I when I crave a good biscuit, I think of uh, one thing I truly miss about not being in the South is I miss Bojangles. Yeah, I, mean, I love the biscuit there. My God, I mean, that oh, is... their breakfast biscuits are fantastic. Yeah, yeah you know my we... go-to breakfast thing is actually a Northern thing. It's at McDonald's. But their steak, egg, and cheese bagel is phenomenal. That's the best thing on McDonald's. It's really the only thing I like at McDonald's. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you yeah, probably I mean, got nice bodegas up there. You probably wouldn't go to McDonald's for a bagel. Uh, I, I would do anything if, if they would. I don't know why we don't have a Bojangles up here. It makes no sense. But uh, Well, they are expanding north. They, I, I saw they put one in Ohio recently. Um, so uh, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Matt. If you, they franchise. And, uh, you know, um, you, you ever want to get out of the business you're in, uh, you, you could always franchise a Bojangles, a Bojangles, uh, up in uh, Can- up in Connecticut. What city would you put it in? Would you go for the Hartford area? or 
It's a good question. I probably would either the Hartford area or the New Haven area, just because it's more populated, um, more densely populated. But uh, I think it would be a big hit up here. I mean, yeah, how's Popeyes do up there? <sighs> Popeyes doesn't do as well. I think Popeyes is a mm. step below. I really do. I don't I know, they're... man. If you go to a good Popeyes, they got good fried chicken, and I like their biscuits. They don't do breakfast biscuits at all, but. They got good. They got good fried chicken. They got good biscuits. They got good red beans and rice. So, before you know, Popeyes doesn't even mess with breakfast biscuits. So, uh, uh, maybe a biscuitville. How about a biscuitville in Connecticut? I yeah, we're, we're you know, thinking yeah, outside the box. I like it fine, but my, I'm like, man, I'm I'm partial to Bojangles, but uh, I don't dislike Popeyes, and uh, I don't either. Yeah, or as you know, D Riznich would say, I'm not anti Popeyes, but uh, on the way to the Michigan game. My parents and I stopped in the in Withville, Virginia, at a Popeyes to to grab us some uh, one of their chicken sandwiches and some red beans and rice for the road. Yeah, good chicken sandwiches, good red beans and rice, and uh, um, yeah, Matt, have you ever eaten at a Biscuitville? I've never even heard of a Biscuitville. It is a North Carolina chain. Um, they're just now expanding east. They put two in Greenville. They've been out Bubba's way for forever. Um, Bubba, are you a Biscuitville fan? I am um, definitely a fan of Biscuitville, as Jeff Collins said. And as far as Popeyes is concerned, uh, James chiming in from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, saying Popeyes is is the shiznit. Yeah, but, well, be, being a Mississippi boy, Popeyes of Louisiana uh, um, chain, and I would imagine the Popeyes down that way are probably pretty consistently good. So. They got a chain down there, uh, James. Uh, if, you, if you can put it up on the screen, it's a burger chain down there that specializes in making their own root beer uh, that James goes to all the time. That uh, that I'd like to try if I'm ever down that way, uh, and he'll put it up on the screen here in a minute. But uh, they, they it's a local burger chain. They're all over Southern Mississippi, but they make their own root beer in house, which uh, kind of intrigues me. Even though I'm not a big root beer fan, I respect stuff like that. James, put it up there. You go. Yes, Wards. Wards is the name of that chain, and uh, it's down in Mississippi. So if you're ever down that way, uh, check Wards out for a burger and a root beer. When uh, Shell was saying Biscuitville is off the chain, Shell. Yes, they are very good. Them. I enjoy their chicken, egg, and cheese biscuit. Shell lived up in Philly for my understanding many years, so he's he's probably enjoying being back down south, getting some southern food. Philly, uh, I, I got a, I got a, a good friend um married couple that are from the philadelphia area and uh i met him uh you know we, we, we i heard him talking uh, i just met him randomly at a restaurant today you guys are from the jersey philly area aren't you and i nailed it one of them's from jersey one of them's from philly and immediately so pats or genos and they were shocked that i knew what pats and genos was i i thought it was pretty common knowledge i thought everybody in the new everybody in the world knows what pats and genos is do you two not know what pats and genos are Say it again, Pats, Pats and Geno's in Philadelphia. I, I honestly don't know. The two most famous cheesesteak well, places well, that, in the world. That would have been my guess. And from, I mean, just by process of elimination with the location of Philly yeah. cheesesteak, I, I would have guessed the top two options. Yeah, most two, two, a lot of people, Philly cheesesteak. A lot of people say they are not the best, but they are the, the two most well known uh, cheesesteak places in the world, Pats and then uh, Geno's. And they're they're huge rivals, and uh, I think they actually kind of play off the rivalry at this point. 
because I think if you go to one, you kind of go to the other if you're a tourist to see which one's better. You know, it's yeah. funny. I'm not a big cheesesteak guy. It's, oh, I love cheesesteak. I don't I really. A, I love I don't, a chicken I don't seek it out. I really I love a chicken. Do you, do you ever do the chicken cheesesteak? I've done the chicken cheesesteak from um, uh, D'Angelo's. Is that a local place? I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's I. I guess that's just a northern chain up here. It's a. It's a sub shop, basically. It's a sub shop called D'Angelo's. They have a decent chicken cheesesteak, but. Uh, Steve Steaks is apparently Shell's favorite. Um, never heard of that one, but I know there's a lot of them up there. Um, so uh, definitely want to try it. Um, yeah, and I'm a big cheesesteak guy. Uh, chicken cheesesteaks also. Forest Chains, Jersey Mike's, very good chicken cheesesteak and regular cheesesteak. And uh, Highway 55, if you want to get down to North Carolina, Chains also have good cheesesteaks. Now, Jersey Mike's is all over the South now, right? Wawa cheeseburger. Uh, you know what? We're getting Wawa's, Jeff. Um, I know Wawa's are, are popular in the Northeast. They are coming uh, to Eastern North Carolina. Greenville and Goldsboro are both getting Wawa's, if you did not know that. Wawa's awesome. Yeah, we're, we're getting has, to... has great sandwiches. Yeah, really they're, coming, they're coming to Eastern North Carolina, so uh, that'll be interesting to see how that goes. And then he says a chicken cheesesteak, uh, a chicken Philly uh, at Phillies in Wilmington. Uh, you know what? Uh, uh, next time I'm down in Wilmington, um, I'll try to remember that and, and give it a try. And then James uh, chimes in again uh, from Hattiesburg saying, uh, try a real Chicago-style deep dish pizza. Holy, yeah, holy, holy James, crap. James is um, dating a girl from Chicago, and uh, so he's been making a lot of trips back and forth from Mississippi to Chi-Town. And uh, – she has been uh, hooking him up with the New York style, or excuse me, with the Chicago style deep dish pizza, and he's become a fast fan of it. Yeah, I was, I was envious when uh, when James and little I think it was little, little James was right. able, they were able to uh, to go to Wrigley Field in this summer or, or early this fall. They went to Wrigley and Comiskey both. Um, so uh, he, he's been enjoying enjoying. His, uh, his trip to, to the Chicago area, both baseball and uh, and food-wise. What is, what is James's picture? I got to ask. Is that some sort of Halloween? Uh, Go, yeah. yeah. Is that, that's not Scream. It looks a little bit like the Scream mask, but it's not Scream. What is that, James? I'm curious. That's just James's face. <laughs> that's, the face that, that's the face his girlfriend made when she saw him naked the first time. That's what James looks like <laughs> when the, when the, when the uh, Golden Eagles are one and six. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Don't worry, James. My face probably looked the same last Saturday. I, I got more of a vomit face. Uh, Jeff Collins chimes in again on the food objective, saying Jay Michaels in Wilmington. And Jeff Collins, wasn't he a coach somewhere also? Who is that? Jeff yes, Collins. That, that, was, that was G off. Georgia Tech. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yes. G-E-O. FM. Yeah, it was, and he was at Temple before that. That's right. Temple, yep. Former yeah. former Florida defensive coordinator. Bris, um, brisket sandwich from from, from, from Bucky's. Bucky's, Bucky's. The the oh the uh, the, the gas station. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, we, you know what? We, we need one, of those one in North. Birmingham. Yeah, and there's one in Florence, South Carolina, would be the closest for uh, for rel for relevance to uh, Pirate Nation, and they're about to or either have opened one in Sevierville uh, over in East Tennessee. 
Um, I would like to get a Bucky's in North Carolina. I've heard good things about their brisket. I love it that it's a gas station that smokes their own freaking brisket. That's amazing. And there, Ken is chiming in once again regarding the Chicago deep dish pizza, um, an option for Chicago deep dish pizza in Holly Springs, North Carolina. Okay. Acme pizza. Acme pizza. And uh, hey, if you want good New York style pizza in Eastern North Carolina, uh, there's a place called Brooklyn's in um, in Goldsboro, and uh, so and I have heard several people from the Northeast that are shocked after they eat there, and say it is very good New York style pizza. It's, it's huge slices. It's got the flop, but the crust is still crispy, and I hear that's key if you can get the flop and still keep the crust crispy. You know, you're going to start to get more and more quality Italian food in North Carolina because. Everybody's moving out of here. Nobody yeah, the wants implodes. to deal with the Northeast yeah. anymore. No. Nobody wants to deal with the Northeast anymore for a lot of reasons. But I think a lot of Northern Italians are migrating to the South. I mean, they're all over Florida now. Um, but you're going to start getting better Italian food down there. When I went to East Carolina, man, the Italian food in Greenville was dreadful. I mean, I dreadful. Is, is anybody know the best awful. Italian place in Greenville now? I, I'd love to know. Not not just straight up pizza, but we're talking. Like a nice sit-down Italian restaurant. Uh, I think familiar. Oh yeah, yeah, familiar. Well, I, I thought in there, and I, I, I heard good things. Wanting to try. There, there's a uh, there's a place Cuccinella's that's pizza and what is it? Pizza and snow cones or something. They there's no pizza and um pizza and uh, gelato. I think is what it is. Uh, Cuccinella's there in Greenville that I've heard good things about. And they advertise a lot with ECU, so I need to give them a try at some point. Uh, Matt did his best um, up in uh, Connecticut the first week of July to get me some uh, some pie. There. I, how do you go? How do you go to there Connecticut and not get New Haven uh, pizza? Well, we get... we tried. Uh, there would Chase, be no try. I would succeed. Well, <laughs> Chase had a double header that day, and uh, and we started calling what Matt about ten thirty. We started calling early. Like, yeah, we, yeah, we're on the Yale, Yale campus. There was there ah. was a uh, there was a wait. There was like a two hour wait. Um, oh. So so we couldn't do it. But we were hey, we took in New York, we took in Boston. So we got some good food, but we we couldn't get the. Uh, you know, there there the homie homie from Barstool Sports. I don't know if you're familiar with the dude, the guy that started and founded Barstool Sports. His hobby is to do pizza reviews, and uh, he he's, he he does all these pizza reviews, posts them on TikTok. And he swears by New Haven style pizza. He, I mean, he's gone everywhere in America and then over to Italy, Rome. Uh, he and he swears New Haven pizza is the best in the world. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm very curious to try it. Uh, what say you, what, Matt? What say you? Be, being a being a Jersey kid, uh, you're very familiar with New York style. Uh, is New Haven the best pizza you've had? It's very good to me. The best pizza I've ever had is in New Jersey. Um, yeah. But New Haven is excellent. It's different. You know, like James mentioned Chicago, which is a thick, deep dish. Deep yeah, dish. New Haven's like cracker thin. New Haven is a very thin crust. Um, but what makes it is, the, is the, the sauce. The sauce is tremendous. It's very good. So if you like thin crust pizza, you would love New Haven pizza. You know, I prefer I like thick New crust. Jersey because it's kind of in the middle. It's a, it's a little thicker crust, not quite as thick as like a Chicago. Yeah. But uh, it's a little more of a New York style, so that's that's what I prefer. 
I had um I had a really good calzone at a Chicago style pizza place. I can't think of maybe Uno's. I can't think of the name of it. Down in Jacksonville, not too long ago. The calzone breading was was almost like um, the breading on a breadstick or a bread bowl. I never had a calzone with quite that kind of breading. But the, what made it was the marinara sauce served on the side of the dipping in. It was some of the best marinara I've ever had. I would, I would have loved to get your opinion on it, Matt, being an Italian, to see if it was as good as I thought it was. The sauce I'm speaking of. Yeah, man. I'm always uh, willing to sample. Chicago Dogs. Um, is that just a generic reference to Chicago-style hot dogs, or is that a place in Greenville? We should, we should talk about food more often, fellas. Well, you know, Chicago-style yeah, hot dogs, I, if you, I mean, you guys don't know what a Chicago-style hot dog is, it has pickles, um, tomatoes, and peppers on it. Like, like it's like oh. a freaking salad on a hot dog. Wow. Yeah. Sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. I, I like the old Carolina dogs. Give me a pink hot dog with some chili, mustard, chopped onion, and coleslaw. Johnny Robertson says, um, chiming in, uh, you, you mentioned how the Greenville Italian cuisine uh, left a lot to be desired 25 years ago. But yep. um, he's saying that the nicest Italian place now um, is on Red Banks Road, uh, Nino's. Nino's. There's a uh, there's a there's a place in Goldsboro called Nino's or Numos or Unos or Mimos or <laughs> something. It's very similar name. Nemos. It's a very similar name to that. I'll have to look it up. It's not bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. I, I but I've never tried the Nino's in uh, in Greenville, so uh, I have, I'll have to give it a try. Let's see. Uh, How do you guys feel about Greek food? Uh, good year, a good year. Well. James said in the best calzone that he's ever had was in Dales, Wisconsin. Ah, yeah. Yeah, he mentioned that to me the other day, how good that was when they were up in the Wisconsin Dales. And then Will Landon said a deep-fried steak at the fair this year. Yeah, they deep-fry everything, man. I um, A deep-fried steak, you know what? In, traditionally, I've had that, you know, with a, with a, with a cube steak, you know, done, done – um, you know, a chicken fried steak, but um, I, I don't know that I've ever had it with like a New York strip or something. I don't know how that would be. Yeah, neither would I. Um, also, uh, let's see. Had another comment here. Shell Powell said, Trolley Stop Hot Dogs in Wrightsville Beach. Best ever been there since 1978. Now, speaking of hot dogs, places that. Um, you know what? I think I ate there as a kid, Shell, now that you say that. Um, it's one of those memories you just unlocked for me. I'm almost positive I, I ate there as a kid. Um, wow, that is like one of those. You ever had those moments, Bob, where somebody unlocks a memory for you that you'd forgotten about? Yep. Okay. And um, I know if you're in the Winston-Salem area, I believe this place is still in existence. My granddad, my dad's dad, had, uh, before he passed away in 1989, you know, so when I was five, six, seven years old, um, and I was going with him over to the uh, to the railroad yard there. He's a, a railroad policeman, and he would always take me by Pulliams, and they had uh, awesome hot dogs. And then a place I've never tried, and I, I'm guessing you probably have, Kyle. You hear it mentioned all the time on Pirate Radio, and that's Warren's. Warren's hot dog. Clap, 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 clap. No, I've never tried Warren's. Oh, there's a place here a little. Talking about spicy chili. 
EOS, a place in Little Washington that's even more famous than Warren's for their spicy chili. Some, and I cannot think of their name right now. Somebody in the comments will know what I'm talking about. Um, it's a very well-known hot dog place in Little Washington. Uh, <laughs> chili. Um, I've had theirs, and theirs is good. Uh, for, for hot dogs, there's a place in Kinston. It's a little gas station. Um, I cannot think of the name of it right now. I, I, my brain is not working on full cylinder tonight, but um, it's a little gas station in Kinston. I cannot think of the name of it that has really good hot dogs. Uh, it's up, uh, if you're familiar with Kinston, it's like you're going up towards the hospital across from the Big Lot Shopping Center. Um, but the name's escaping me right now. Guys, we got anything else? We're ready to go to Jeff's trailer. Yeah, the food food objective uh, took over the show there for the last thirty minutes. But great Man, suggestions. We appreciate everyone chiming in, and uh, you, you, <laughs> you've made you've made us hungry at eleven thirty p.m. What did everybody have for dinner tonight? I had a burrito bowl from Bonfires in Goldsboro. Great local place that uh, you know, it's like it's like a um, non-chain alternative to Chipotle. And uh, had a burrito bowl. Uh, what did everybody else have? Since we're talking I about? had chicken supremes from Bohanglace with nice. uh, with the Cajun pintos and dirty rice. Matt, that sounds damn good. I had a pot roast in a crock pot with uh, carrots and potatoes. Very good. It was it was damn good, damn good. Very good. I, I tried to go healthy. I'm trying to lose weight. I had I had my in my burrito bowl. I had black beans. Grilled marinated chicken, spinach, uh, jalapenos, banana peppers, tomato, salsa, and a little guacamole. James says he had a big one from Ward's. Yeah, James just had a big one somewhere. Wait, um, did James say we got to put this comment on the screen? I, a big I, one I, from Ward's. Yeah, War, the Ward's is the place I'm about, talking about with the, uh, with the root beer. Did James say, am I the only person who puts mayo on my hot dog? Can we put that up? Yes, yes, you are, James. We've had this discussion. Yes, you are. You you weird son of a bitch. Yes, nobody else puts mayonnaise on their hot dog. That I got so I gotta call James out for that. I've never heard of that before, man. The only way I want mayonnaise on my hot dog is if it's coleslaw. If I, you know, I love coleslaw on a hot dog, and that's got mayonnaise in it. But just straight mayonnaise on a hot dog, I, ugh. Well, I mean, not even ugh, because you think about it. Bologna and hot dogs are somewhat similar if you fry the bologna. It's got a somewhat similar taste. So it's not that it's ick. I just don't know why you would think to do that. JR says you can't have a discussion about hot dogs and not mention the world-famous red hot dogs on a steam bun at the Martinsville Speedway. There you go. There you go. I've never been to the Martinsville Speedway, but I have heard of those hot dogs. Jeff Collins and Melvin's is the best HB, I guess. Hamburger. Yeah. Now, where, where is uh, where is Melvin's, Jeff? Or yeah, Kyle, you, how do you know? I've never heard of Melvin's in my life, so I have no idea. I, I'll tell you who somebody that, in my opinion, had a good burger, um, unfortunately, shut down, and, and that was Winslow's in Greenville. You know what the best burger I had recently was, uh, Bubba? Uh, one of your favorite places, man. Comeback Shack and Boone. Um, I had their uh, their patty melt while we were up there the other weekend. Yeah, Comeback Shack's a good spot. Yeah, it's really good. If you're ever in Boone and you want a good burger, um, you can't go wrong at Comeback Shack. And that patty melt was so damn good. 
Awesome grilled chicken sandwich, too. Yeah, yeah. I've had their grilled chicken. It is good. Everything's good to come back, Shaq. Only got three locations. Boone, it's Charleston. like a fa- fancier, a little bit uh, fancier cookout. Yeah, way fancier cookout. What, um, yeah. Uh, they, uh, there's one in Boone, one in Charleston. And do you know where the third one is? I know they have three locations now, Bubba. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, North, North Charleston, Boone, and I'm not sure where the third one is. I did see there were three locations now, so uh, we'll have to. James said, there you go. Uh, he's a little confused about what a rainbow cone is. Now, do you guys put ranch A rainbow cone? Well, where did that come from? It came from, from, from Sarah, Sarah Bernardi. She said, rainbow, co- rainbow cone. Ha ha. Have yet to try it, but those are. The big staples, deep dish pizza, hot dogs, and Italian beef. Sarah Bernardi, that's Sarah, that is Sarah from Chicago. That is James's girlfriend. Yes, I'm calling you his girlfriend, Sarah. If neither one of you like it, you can both suck it. Um, so, uh, that, that, so Sarah, appreciate you watching and listening. You know, Sarah, Sarah's very knowledgeable about college football. I think we should pose Sarah with a bunch of college football questions right now and see how many she can answer. Sarah, what are you hearing up, up in um, – the Chicago area. Who who um, who's going to be the new head coach in Evanston for the Wildcats? Yeah, who's going to be the new head coach in Northern Illinois? Or excuse me, at Northwestern, Sarah. And I got one for Sarah too. Who's the last defensive player to win a Heisman Trophy? Yeah, yeah, guys. I mean, clearly, the, the you guys maybe maybe you guys didn't detect the sarcasm, but uh, Sarah Sarah's not very knowledgeable. About college oh, all right, I, you had me. You said it very seriously. Yeah, I you had me there, Kyle. <laughs> I thought you. I thought that was genuine. No, 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 Sarah. Sarah wouldn't know a. Uh, Sarah wouldn't know a quarterback from a refund. There we go. There you go. Got Bubba popping off the laughs out there. The uh, the laughs that we have saved. Uh, you you, know you got to laugh. Yeah, yeah. All right, Bubba. Chill with the sound. Right. Yeah, we got to get our favorite one in. They picked this last. Yeah, give me a moment. Y- y- y'all carry on for a moment. I, I-, I will return. Let me, right. let me let me let me throw this one out there to the listeners. Now, this is something that drives me nuts about the South. Do you guys like ranch dressing on pizza? You know what? Um, not own pizza, but I will dip my crust in ranch dressing. Um, but no, like putting it on the pizza, like on the like like drizzling it over the pizza. No. But I will dip my crust in good. It's got to be good ranch. It can't just be some old Hidden Valley out of a bottle. It's got to be good quality ranch. <laughs> so we got uh, Shell says no with an exclamation point. James says hell yes. Robert, I put mustard on my pizza. Wow, that's uh, that's going deep. That's going deep. No, I, I, I will. I'll tell you what. I will put on my pizza now. Um, if it ain't really good pizza, if it's really good pizza, I don't do this, but if I get a, a, a pizza and it's not up to snuff, what, what, what will, what will make it good in a hurry is to put a few dashes of Texas Pete on the pizza. A little hot now, that sauce. sounds good. That sounds great. Yeah, it is good. It is good. It, that is the way to take mediocre pizza and make it good. Going back to Mayo, um, Matt, I know you get some laughs out out of some of the things that my dad uh, does. Uh, So so going back to my childhood, I remember one of his customers um, that he had, you know, when he was taking a customer out for lunch on a sales call, 
I introduced him, you know, yeah, I, I'm sure that he would gone to a burger and hot dog place and gotten an order of fries with it. And uh, they were dipping their fries in mayonnaise. So uh, I just thought about that uh, with the mayonnaise comment. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's no bueno. That's no bueno for me. Now, yeah, so, something that is I good. I like fries uh, with ranch, Matt. Dip, dipping uh, fries, you know, mixing up your ketchup and mayonnaise. Now, that's good. You know what Dude, that's called? Even the you know sight of called? ketchup makes me sick. If I even see ketchup, if I smell it. Makes well, me Matt, sick. Matt, being a Northeastern, tell, tell Bubba what mixing mayonnaise and, uh, and ketchup together is called. Oh, uh, what the hell is it called? Russian dressing. Russian All right. dressing. I thought you would know that before. There's me. another name for it, though. They call it on the. Uh, I can't think of it, though. James saying he puts yeah, mayo in his red beans and rice. Yes, he told me that the other day. And I'm, I'm like, you know, why? And I remember him telling me why. He got it from his mama. His mama does it. Um, I, I find that, you know, weird as crap. I, <laughs> I put hot sauce in my red beans and rice. Um, I would I would have never. I, I, you know what I will do? This Matt is going to lose his mind when he hears this. Uh-huh. Being, being an Italian. You know what I will do sometimes, Matt? With a big plate of spaghetti. I'll put I'm nervous. Sour, I'll, I'll mix sour cream in with my spaghetti. Jesus, man. Yeah. That's... Wait, what? Sour cream? Yeah. Is there marinara but... sauce or just literally sour no, cream? Well, no, you take the spaghetti sauce. You know, your 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 bolognese, your, your, your spaghetti sauce with your meat. In the South, this is how you're going to get spaghetti. You gonna get some 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 marinara sauce with some ground beef in it. That's spaghetti sauce, and in the south, and you you put that over your noodles, or you know, and, and then I mix sour cream in with it. Wow, never heard that one before. No, but think I don't about know if it. I ever right? want to well, try it. Well, think about it. All right, you 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 take sour cream and you put it on a taco. Okay, a taco. You got you, you got ground beef with the taco seasoning and tomato. So think of what spaghetti is. It's it's seasoned ground beef with a lot of tomato tomato sauce and you mix sour cream it, it goes with it pretty well actually all right all right so james has a comment here um, matt is an italian uh, and tell me what you think of this he mixes his ranch dressing in with his spaghetti I, yeah that's gross. That, that that's that sounds worse than sour cream i, I would try that james it, it, but Matt, which one sounds worse to you of the two? My nana, my nana just rolled over in her grave when she heard that. <laughs> I'll say, which one sounds worse? Which one? If you had to do one, would you do ranch dressing and spaghetti or sour cream and spaghetti? I mean, the, the sound of both makes me want to throw up on the spot. I guess, <laughs> I guess, I guess it would. If I had to choose one, maybe ranch. I don't know. Really? Do y'all I, never put sour cream on your tacos? I'll put no. I will put it on a taco. I like it on a burrito. Oh, yeah, well, you see, that's, you know, we're not talking about a, look, we're not talking about a fine Italian restaurant with, with perfecto marinara. We're talking about a can of friggin' ragu with some ground beef mixed in. Kenneth <laughs> <laughs> so, Maynard says, had banana and mayo sandwiches growing up, a southern yes, de- delicacy. Every, every southerner's uh, done that. I love peanut butter and banana, but, uh, my mom, uh, you know, she she combined the two. She had, she had a peanut butter, mayo, and banana sandwich, which I, I thought sounded might, di- sounded disgusting. To, you might want to get your mom checked out if she put mayonnaise with peanut butter. Um, but yeah, the the mayo and banana, um, 
is uh, that's a that's a southern staple. I, I'm really surprised that mayo all and banana. Yes, sir. Yeah, I think everybody in the south mayo and banana, mayo and tomato. Oh, I mean, uh, oh, it's a, a mayo and tomato sandwich. A good garden fresh tomato in the middle of the summer with salt and pepper and mayonnaise on white bread. I mean, that's a freaking delicacy. Jeff so Collins, you're, you're taking a healthy food and you and you're just you, you're killing it with with the mayo. You're killing it. Have you never had a tomato sandwich? No, forget the, the banana. I'm not even trying to sell you on banana and mayo. But have you never had a tomato sandwich? Well, what I do, I do it a little different. I take the tomato, I slice it, I put fresh mozzarella, I put a little basil and salt and pepper, and maybe a little touch of olive oil, like a little t- tiny yeah. bit of olive oil. I can get down with that. I can get down with that. That sounds good. Matt, we need to, I need to have a clip uh, with you saying mozzarella. Mozzarella, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mozzarella. Another another friend of mine from Jersey the other day I heard him say mozzarella uh, when we were down at Rio's in uh, in Myrtle Beach they, uh, they have, the Brazilian steakhouse they have mozzarella cheese on the uh, on the uh, on the uh, little uh, buffet there and uh, fresh fresh mozzarella and uh, he went with the mozzarella like you just did and, <laughs> and Jeff Collins said speaking of Texas Pete uh, Texas Pete on a shrimp plate at the seafood hut in Calabash. Yeah, that sounds good. I, I, I definitely, if I, if I can't get cocktail sauce, uh, that is what I will do with some fried shrimp is go for the Texas Pete. Yes, sir. Y'all like pole boys? Y'all like, uh, is James still around? Uh, he's a good expert on pole boys, but I'll tell you what, I love a good shrimp pole boy. Mm. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard some folks talk about it. Uh, I want to say I tried, tried, one at uh, at Parker's. Oh no 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 no! Don't go to Parker's for a shrimp po' boy. Uh, any place at the beach, you're gonna have a good po' boy. There's a place down in Swansboro called the Beverage Company. Um, they do a uh, they do a wussy shrimp po' boy and then a Diablo shrimp po' boy. Both of them are good. I'd go with the Diablo. Uh, very spicy, delicious, delicious. And he says shrimp po' boys are amazing. Yes, they are. Well, as much as we've enjoyed and as much as our viewers have enjoyed the, the food conversation, um, let's go ahead and go to this interview with, or not interview. <laughs> Bubba coming from the other side there. Yeah. So we got, we got, uh, well, Bubba's going to sign out and he'll be right back. Yeah. And we're going to have the, uh, the Jeff trailer. Uh, there we go. Bubba's back. We're going to have the Jeff trailer press conference from, uh, earlier today or earlier this week uh, actually and yeah, uh, bub is ready for the audio now yeah before we go to that all right morning guys, everyone do you guys have any closing thoughts uh, stop interrupting us coach trailer we're trying to pitch it to you momentarily well if he waits a few more minutes it will be morning and that'll be an accurate statement yeah um i uh hope for, for hope for the best prepare for the worst um that would be my message to Pirate Nation for this Saturday. Yeah, and uh, I guess my final message would be, listen, be aggressive, call plays aggressively, take deep shots early in the game. East Carolina has nothing to lose in this spot, so you might as well go down swinging. And, uh, again, like just like Kyle said, hopefully it's a good performance. Um, 
It would be nice to feel good about something related to ECU football right now. So uh, we'll see what happens, fellas. Yeah, take care of the football the way we did against Charlotte, uh, winning the turnover battle, plus two there. We only had one penalty, but uh, lost the football game. And, and hopefully we can duplicate those numbers and then, uh, you know, find a, a way to make some things happen, especially through the air as UTSA has been soft there at times this year. And uh, no doubt, Jeff Collins, go Pirates. But um, without any further ado, let's go to Jeff Trailer. He is the fourth-year head coach of the UTSA Roadrunners, and he met with the media on Monday morning. And here's what Coach Trailer had to say about where his team is uh, after a 4-3 and start and 3-0 and uh, start to AAC play in their first year in the conference and uh, how his team um, played at, after a 36-10 win down in Boca against FAU, or as they prefer now, Florida Atlantic, and um, preparing to host East Carolina on homecoming. Mamie. With Coach Trailer, please use the raise hand function to ask questions I'll, and wait for me to call on you. JJ? Jeff, looking back at uh, this past week at FAU, just uh, what are some of the biggest things you guys did well to play so well? Our defense is just so dominant up front. Secondary was matched up, did a really good job. We didn't turn anybody loose, uh, which we've done that about four weeks in a row. So the communication and execution of the bat was really good. Um, you know, offensively, uh, minus the three turnovers, we were very good. Uh, had a miscommunication on the first one, uh, poor execution by our offensive tackle on the second one. And then uh, Frank did a, he just didn't take care of the ball on the third one. Um, which is unfortunate, and he's he's better than that. He knows that, and he'll get that cleaned up. Uh, but special teams, while we were fantastic, I mean, that's the number one punt return in the country. Uh, Lucas Dean did a great job of punting the ball. Our gunners did a great job of covering. He had zero yards return. Elliott had a great tackle. Uh, sideline also helped on that, obviously. Uh, Cam did a good job of down the ball on the three-yard line, which led to a safety. Uh, the huge punt return by Chris Carpenter out before halftime, which set up the field goal by Chase, which gave us a 10-point lead. So it's two weeks in a row we've played uh, complimentary football. The triangle toughness showed up, and it's the time of year for us to start showing up. Jeff, what's been the – has there been any secret to the success these last two weeks or these last two games, or is it just continuing to do the things you guys have always done? Yeah, it's that really boring answer. It's just uh, practice. Uh, you know, practice makes permanent. Perfect practice makes perfect. And, and it's too boring, though. Nobody wants to talk about that stuff. You know, it's, it's hard work. Uh, it's it's just hard. It's tough. And if it was easy, everybody would do it. But you got to challenge yourself every day. You got to go on the practice field. Keep stacking days. I know nobody wants to hear that because it's not sexy at all. But you got to work, man. And our kids have been working. Sometimes it doesn't look like it. I get it. Sometimes it doesn't, you don't think we're not working, but uh, usually when you work hard uh, and you have a good attitude about it, uh, good things start coming your way. Did, did I did I hear right? You smashed your finger on a, a cheese trap today? Yeah, we passed out about 112 of them, uh, loaded them all up. No, we, we unloaded all of them, but uh, one of my smart LA seniors uh, loaded his back up and uh, put it up on the podium where, where I speak to the kids and I put my hand there, and it's uh, yeah, it looks like my pinky got smashed by a hammer, but it would have killed a lesser man. But I'm okay, JJ. I appreciate you asking. I know Greg wouldn't care. 
with that, Greg? Well, I'll have you know it was on my list of things, but thankfully JJ covered it. So we're well, I'm glad to know that, Greg. I'm glad to know that. I'll, I'll ask you instead about the offensive line. How have you felt about the performance and the progress we've seen on that group as you found some consistency there? Yeah, we didn't allow a sack again. Uh, that's always good. Obviously, Ernesto's a really good football player, but not getting the defensive end cut. We threw a little early. We didn't high wall and set him good enough or long enough. And, and the kid made a really good play, so kudos to FAU for that as well. Um, but, yeah, you know, our all three running backs had great games. They all ran the ball well. And um, we couldn't be more proud of those guys. And that that's what I thought we did really well. We were just very physical in all aspects of the game. Um, we, we were a really physical football team. It was, it was fun to watch. And it's as good as I've seen our locker room after a game. And we've had some big wins here. But our, our kids, you can tell we're, we're starting to get better and they know it. What's the latest on Makai Hart and when he might be uh, fixing to return to the lineup for you guys? Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd say soon, but I don't know how soon. I doubt it would be this week, but I would say it's getting close. Steven? Hey, Coach, good morning. Good morning, Steven. Speaking on the uh, running attack, you had three guys uh, all had at least 50 yards rushing. Uh, was that just kind of the way the game turned out, or is that something you guys would like to see week to week? Yeah, we've we've not hid from that all year. You know, we think all three of those guys are really good. Um, it's always the way I wanted to play. We had it last year, and we had it set up. We just could never get it off and running, you know, with B. Brady and Trey and, uh, and then obviously Kavorian. But Trey couldn't get healthy the whole year, and then B. Brady got hurt. And then when we had Sincere, B. Brady couldn't stay healthy. So um, it's just – that's the best way. There's only so many carries in those guys. I, I know I've used the analogy of a boxer a lot of times, but those NFL guys can tell how good they are with 10 carries. They don't need to have 25. And the, it's just what's best for the longevity of their careers. It makes us a better football team in the fourth quarter. It makes us a better football team in the month of November and December. And we all know that's where the biggest games are. And looking at the receiving court, uh, McEwen and McCoy both had pretty good games. What does that do for you guys going forward that now they're kind of stepping into bigger roles? And Amador showed up again as well, which is two weeks in a row. So that's three young guys that we got that have been real big additions for us uh, just due to injuries and, you know, stuff that happens during the year. Again, Taki Kellogg showed up, Josh. So really proud of that group. And more than anything, how they block for each other. They're really physical on their, on the edge. And the physicality we brought to the game was something we were very proud of. Our kids are – they love football and they love to play a certain style. We put it out there about the two one zero triangle of toughness, and we've only been about it for two weeks in a row now. So uh, two two out of seven is not good enough. So we we got to keep getting better. And uh, I know everybody's proud of how much we've improved, and we sure enjoy the compliments a lot better than the way we were getting treated in September. But the way we were treated in September was deserved because we didn't play very well. So it's all fair. But we got to stay humble and keep getting better. Uh, and don't eat the cheese. You know, desperate people live differently than prosperous people. And we got to play like a desperate football team. Brandon. Good morning, Coach. Good morning. Uh, just just wanted to talk a little bit about your defensive line uh, going up against a squad that had been given that that didn't give up a sack last week. Y'all, y'all go in there and you and you managed to get five. Was there anything that y'all saw on the film that you were able to take advantage of? 
And um, and when you do see that your defense is performing that that well, does it give you confidence to run a different scheme or 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 throw more out there that maybe you wanted to try out? Um, you know, those guys had five returning starters up front. Uh, they were the third most consistent O-line in the country. Um, so we had our hands full. I just think it shows how good our D-line can be when, they, when they're up to a challenge and they're mentally focused correctly. Um, I think what changed mainly as far as how dominant we were, it, 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 we got real conservative offensively uh, just because that we had only given up three points going to the fourth quarter and we were up by a three score game. So that's the only thing that would change. Uh, we, we brought some pressures obviously, but a lot of that was just guys winning their one-on-one battles. But when we have brought our pressures lately, we've been getting home. That's been exciting to see. And in the back end, our coverage has been so good. Our corners and safeties played really good this week. That's as good as I've seen Nick Troy fortune play. Uh, Cam Alexander had another good game. Dewan got injured, but came back out there and played well. And then uh, we're finally getting Stitch Dumas out there uh, for the first time here recently, and he played well as well. Thank you, Coach. JJ? Jeff, going back to, uh, like, don't eat the cheese, how how do you get that message to your guys across this week? I imagine it's a big don't eat the cheese week. Oh, we've had a little fun. Uh, We brought all the receipts out. Uh, I got my my, my black ops, my – my, my guys that do all the stuff behind the scenes, we went digging and found all the things uh, that you guys have said about us and all of our fans have said about us for the whole month of September. And heck, there's even, there's even one out there called Fire Trailer. So we've got that up and rolling in the, in the building. And uh, we've seen every coach that needs to be fired, every player needs to be fired. We loved it. Somebody thought Frank came back just for the money and he doesn't care about the team. We got that up in the locker room. So we, we got all the receipts up and we're trying to motivate and just keep getting better, stay humble, have a little fun with it, um, but also remind ourselves where we were in September and where we are right now in October. Jeff, at the same time, you guys have been pretty good in conference play. I think this is your 25th, 25th win. So how do you walk that line of, of keeping that confidence? Just that. Uh, we speak it, but we also understand how we got there. We got there by being really good on defense, really good on offense, and really good on special teams. And when you don't play well, you don't win those ball games. So uh, we know who we are, uh, but we also uh, were 11 and 0 one year, and uh, went to Denton and didn't show up and came home 11 and one. We also let an Army team beat us this year that we thought we were better than, and they they kicked our tails right. So again, uh, I think last week you saw North Carolina get beat by Virginia. It happens every week. I mean, if you don't take care of your business, man. That other team plays good, you play down, you lose. Greg? Jeff Kalechi and Nochuku this week uh, matched the school record for games played. What did it mean to you to see that? Oh, he's just a great, you know, great kid, great mind, cybersecurity. I mean, he's got a real degree. He doesn't have the old old kinesiology degree. Now, there's anything wrong with that. Just talking about my own self here. He didn't get that one. He got cybersecurity, and that's a dude smart, man. I mean, he's just really smart, high character, and uh, doesn't surprise me at all, though, Kalechi. What kind of a response or a relationship has he built with his teammates? It seems like through all of his years here, he's just been willing to take on whatever role the program needs. 
Yeah, that's just him. He'll play special teams. He plays in the nickel package. He goes up there and plays in the base package. He'll do whatever. That's just who Kelechi is. And, uh, you know, he, he's uh, uh, one of those single-digit guys that you're really proud of, man. He's he's special. Steven? Coach, looking at East Carolina, they may not be doing as well as they were predicted to, but what have you seen from them and, and what stands out about them? Well, the first thing I noticed is their schedule. I mean, would you want to play Michigan? Would you want to play Marshall? Would you want to play App State? Rice is playing very good this year. They beat Houston. We didn't. SMU's playing really good. So then you look at Charlotte. Well, it's an in-state robbery, and you know how those robbery games are. You never know. You look at their defense. Statistically, they're number two in the country on on rushing. I mean, that's that's an impression. That's an that's a that's a stat that's pretty phenomenal, especially when we like to run the football like we do. Defensively, they're top twenty-five, top thirty in the country overall. They've been in every single ball game. They held Michigan to thirty points. Uh, this game is uh is you know it's it's literally a trap game. I mean, which is why we've got all the all the mouse traps out, cheese out, because uh, if we sleep on these guys, they'll come in here and embarrass us on homecoming. And for you guys on defense, what do y'all need to do to contain their offense? Well, our defense is really good, right? When we're locked in. You've also seen us be very bad against Army, bad against Temple, bad against Tennessee. But when we're when we have MAs and we're not focused and we don't communicate, we can look like we don't know what we're doing. Now against Texas State, against Houston, you know, the last two weeks, uh, we've put together four really good games, but four out of seven is not good enough. You know, can we stack another one? Can we play good three weeks in a row? And that'll be the challenge uh, this Saturday. They've got good players now. Both quarterbacks can move around. The receivers are athletic. Both backs are they're, they're physical running backs. Tight ends, good player. And uh, we'll, we'll have our hands full. It's, it'll be a good football game. JJ? Jeff, I wanted to pivot a little bit here to the uh, student vote. I believe that's this week for the uh, fee increase. Can you just talk about how important that is for the program? And I guess where, where what's, your, what's your pitch to the students? Well, just I just tell the truth. Like, you know, I try to do that all the time. Um, when I run into people that are older, that helped bring football to UTSA. It's unbelievable how much pride those people have in their adult life now that they had such a huge impact on the entire city of San Antonio and UTSA by bringing football. And here's another opportunity. I think that's the last time we've done a fee increase. I'm that might not be factual. I believe I've heard that. Um, And in order for us to be competitive in the AAC, we're going to need that. And uh, it's for all the programs and it's just a huge, huge vote for us. And uh, I hope it passes and I hope people go out and vote. And um, I understand there's a story on both sides of the fence, but it's for us and the future of our program. And uh, it just it just brings so much notoriety to the university. I mean, I don't go anywhere in the country now. When I, don't ha- when I have my cap on, I don't get any more like, are y'all the Ravens? Like, I never get asked that question anymore. Everybody usually gives me the old meet me, birds up and talk about Frank Harris and all the championships and how cool the Alamo Dome is. That's wherever I go. When I see my kids in New York, when I go to Florida, it doesn't matter where I travel. When I've got the old cap on, everybody knows about the birds. Greg? Jeff, you guys as a team rank 
uh, sixth in the country in tackles for loss and ninth in sacks. Is there uh, any reason those negative plays have been there for you guys at such a high level? Yeah, we've got really good football players, and they make a lot of good plays. Anything different from previous years that's allowed that group to step forward in the way they have? Um, just four years of consistency and recruiting the right kids, and those guys get after it. They're good football players. They're fun to watch. You touched on uh, Nick Fortune earlier, obviously a leader on this team. He's been pretty steady at corner for a couple of years now. Was it meaningful to see him get rewarded with an interception in the game this weekend? Just because of the human that he is. I mean, you talk about a guy that stacks great days every day. Another single-digit guy that doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, he just there was a there's a play earlier in the game where they ran a, a number one out there on a single on him, and they ran the hitch and go, and he had unbelievable eye discipline. You can see his eyes stay down his hip the entire time. Stayed in phase, played the ball absolutely perfectly. Um, he's just a really good human that shows up to work every day. He does a great job of leading that room, and uh, couldn't be more thrilled for a, a really great young man to have a great game and one of the best plays I've seen. I had no idea he picked it, and uh, and then everybody, my guys up top said he had his foot in bounds, and and the play stood. So really proud of Nick. Along the same lines, Joe Evans came through with the safety, and I know he celebrated that one. You know, what was your reaction to seeing him be able to make that play? Another great young man again, another single-digit guy. Uh, you know, this is about par for Joe. He usually comes in a little heavy. He likes to – he's like his head coach. He likes to eat in the summers. And uh, he, he starts slimming up in August, slims up a little more in September, slims up a little more in October, and he plays his best football usually from now on. And when the temperature drops, that really helps Big Joe. So, man, it's, it's going to be fun to watch him down the home stretch. JJ. Jeff, as one of you guys have played these last three games, is there another level you think this team could reach? I do. I think our best football is out there. Uh, I really do. We just have not played uh, all three as good as possible yet. And it's out there, and we're chasing it. Uh, we're, we're, we're in the hunt for that game. Jeff wanted to ask you about JT Clark. Uh, looks like he didn't travel this week. Do you have any long-term news you could share with us or has anything you developed on that? Uh, we've had one opinion uh, last week. We're getting a second opinion today uh, and we'll know more about that. Probably we'll be, we'll know. We'll have a plan probably after this week is up. I would not expect to see him this week either. Wanted to ask you about the report on uh, wide receiver Joshua Cephas having some legal issues. Uh, I guess, can you comment on that? And what's, what's your take on, I guess, what was reported last week? Well, it needs to play out in the legal system. I know everybody has their opinions on it, but not everybody has the facts um, that, that we have. And it's not fair to play that out publicly uh, because, you know, he has a lawyer that represents him and there's a court system that handles those situations. And, and if you know more about it, uh, you know, you could be a little bit more informed. We're just not at liberty to say. And all I can tell everybody is the president and we have to compost and I, you know, we're going to do what's best for the kid. And we're getting all the information that we can. And uh, that's really all I can say on it right now. Greg. Jeff, how important was it for this group to be able to get Rocco Griffin some real run in this game after he missed last week? I know he had a lot of carries, especially down the stretch there. Yeah, it was good to get him back. Um, and, you know, it just shares the the spreads the wealth out and saves those guys some punches. And, you know, he needed to take a few extra ones. He got the week off the week before, so he got a few extra this week. 
We talked a couple of weeks back about the dynamic of having the early open week and how you might manage that through the year. When you have a game that gets pretty one-sided like this towards the end, is it important to maybe cycle some guys through or how much do you try to take advantage of that? Um, we did defensively, not so much offensively. Uh, you know, we tried to run the ball and keep our ones. Now we play a lot of guys to begin with, but we didn't, you know, we, we probably play seven or eight receivers every game anyway, and probably, you know, seven or eight offensive linemen. I know we play two or three tight ends every game. So uh, that's pretty much the way we play, but we did not per se empty the bench. Uh, defensively, we always played three rounds of guys. So I don't know that we got that much load off of anybody. Uh, I think the numbers are for reps were about like always. Uh, I, I'd have to study that to make sure, but I did, I don't – remember sensing it getting uh, like anybody just got taken out or anything. Did you think about doing that on offense for that last series there, or why was it important to keep those ones in all the way through? I uh, just, it was a really big game on the road and uh, we just need to make sure we got that one home and got on the plane. That was just a big one. Back to you, JJ. Yeah, did it mean anything uh, extra for you to go against Tom Herman uh, this last week? I know he was there at Texas after you were, and, and you were pretty complimentary towards him leading up to the game. He's a really good coach. He's had a great career. And uh, obviously he's the one that replaces the University of Texas. And, you know, he he made a decision what was best for him and his program. And, you know, no different than when I got the job here. Um, there's just certain people you want to bring with you. And uh, so it'd be very hypocritical of me to uh, judge him any differently. So he's had a great career at Houston and Texas. He's a very good football coach. And uh, we were really excited that our team played very well against a good football team. And uh, we haven't played great in Florida, which I learned a lot about that uh, from the old, the famous Andy Everett. Uh, he kept reminding me of it. So it was just good to get that kind of that monkey off our back. I'd forgotten that's where we lost our bowl game as well and got reminded of that as well. So that was just good to get that off of us and come home with a that was a fun, fun, fun. I've never seen our kids now. This is crazy. I've never seen them that excited after a game. Uh they had a blast in the locker room. They had a blast on the plane the whole way home. They were they they can tell we're getting better. And you can just tell they're a bunch of kids that have heard how bad they are for a whole month and they're ready to get some of that stink off of us. Uh, my last question for you here. I know you said this. You looked at uh, East Carolina as a trap game. I think you guys are a three-score favorite uh, by the odds makers. What what is that? Does that mean anything to you guys? Um, we anticipated that. We talked about it as soon as we got in the locker room. And um, again, all you got to do is watch college football, and it happens every week. Somebody with that much of a a spread, you know, goes down. And uh, if we don't want that to be the roadrunners. We've got to practice our tail off in the morning at 7 a.m. And whether it's raining out there or whatever it's doing, we got to be ready to roll. Anything else for Coach Taylor this morning? All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you all. God bless. Birds up. There you have the comments of fourth year. UTSA head coach Jeff Trailer as he met with the media on Monday morning for his weekly press conference. Um, you know, you heard there toward the tail end of that 
uh, press conference, he was asked about the status of wide receiver Josh Cephas. Josh Cephas uh, leading the Roadrunners with 52 receptions for essentially 500 yards, I think 498 to be exact, and six touchdowns. Uh, he did play in last weekend's game um, after uh, some of these things were, um, you know, after an article in KSAT.com uh, was talking about the star wide receivers uh, repeatedly violating bond conditions uh, with the DWI back in December, I want to say, of uh, 2022. He did not play in the Roadrunners bowl game against the Troy Trojans. So uh, from everything I'm seeing, uh, he will be available for UTSA when they take on East Carolina on Saturday afternoon at the Alamo Dome. Uh, a couple other notes before we get out of here. I have to talk about East Carolina volleyball. How about the Pirates? 18-4. Um, and four. Congratulations to um, the ladies, Adler, Augustine, uh, their head coach and uh, staff on what they've built. Again, 18-4 and four overall, 9-2 and two in the American. They've won six straight matches, nine out of their last ten. Uh, and they're seven and three at Menji's, six and one on the road, and five and oh, five and oh, excuse me, at uh, neutral courts this season. Uh, they, uh, what do they have on the horizon? Um, they on Friday, five thirty. So uh, as you're hearing this on uh, Friday, October twenty seventh, and they will be out in Houston taking on Rice, and then on Sunday uh, they'll travel up to Tulsa for a 1 p.m. match at the Reynolds Center with the Tulsa Golden Hurricane uh, as they look to um, continue to play so well away from Minji's Coliseum. And then uh, they'll return to Williams Arena, Minji's Coliseum, on Friday, November 3rd. So one week from tomorrow, 6 p.m. match against SMU. Uh, then they'll, they'll go down to South Florida uh, for a pair of matches on – Friday, November, excuse me, Thursday, November 9th, and Friday, November 10th. I'm guessing that was uh, a situation perhaps they were supposed to play in Menji's uh, when we were dealing with the tropical storm on Gardner-Webb weekend in football. But, uh, or maybe, or no, maybe that's that's just the way things are done. Looking at the schedule, uh, you have Charlotte coming to Menji's um, for a pair of matches on the 17th and 18th of November. And then they'll round out things, um, in, at least in regular season play, um, by traveling down to San Antonio, Texas, to take on the Roadrunners of UTSA on November 22nd. Uh, also, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, ECU women's soccer fell in their regular season, or at least their home finale on senior night, to the Charlotte 49ers, 3-1 to one. Pirates, 9-4-5 and five on the season. Four, two, and three within the American Athletic Conference. Uh, but that will do it for this edition of the program. Uh, we appreciate the thoughts over the last couple hours of Kyle Barber and Matt Semenza as we talked East Carolina Pirate football, uh, college football in general. And then the last 30 to 45 minutes, it became the food objective rather than the sports objective. And we appreciate everyone tuning in and chiming in throughout the show. But for everyone here at the Sports Objective, we appreciate your viewership and listenership. Um, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on whichever platforms 
you tune in on, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and we'll talk to you on Sunday night as we take a look back at East Carolina and UTSA, the first ever matchup between the Pirates and Roadrunners. Again, 3.30 kickoff, 3.30 Eastern time um, down at the Alamo Dome on ESPN+. And, of course, you can also tune in um, via 94.3 The Game and listen to Jim Zoki and Andrew Bays, the East Carolina All-American punter. They'll bring you all the action on Saturday afternoon. And we'll talk to you on Sunday night on the Pirate Football Playback presented by LNK Custom Homes. Um, and hopefully we'll have some surprising news and be able to talk about the Pirates' second victory of the season. Follow us on social media on X of the Sports OBJ. And then also you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the Sports Objective. We'll talk to you soon. And as always, go Pirates. Uh, uh, uh.